another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, the legend, one of the all-time, all-time uh, influential forces in hardcore from the band SSD, Engage, Al Burrill is on the show. And whew, this is an epic one. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That and an Instagram page and a Facebook page for this podcast are all run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and you'll get the message to me. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Damien To support the show, please tell all your friends about it. And let everyone know that you enjoy this podcast. Also, please head over to turnedoutapunk.com and grab a t-shirt for this podcast. Uh, I very much appreciate everyone that has done that. And if you have not done that, please, uh, and you can, obviously, and you want to. That, that's a big part of it, too. Head over to turnedoutapunk.com and please pick up a t-shirt that I designed and uh, support the show that way. Uh, I play in a band. We're called Fucked Up. You can find out more information about tour dates and, and shows and all that kind of... Uh, I guess tour dates and shows are kind of the same thing. Records that we have coming out and other things over at fuckedup.cc. We're going to be on a lot of tours this summer and uh, the like. So hopefully see you there. Come out and say hello if you are around at those shows. All right. On to today's show. Today... On turned out a punk, it's Al Burrill. And now, if you are if you are familiar with uh, Al and SSD, you know what a big deal this is. If you are not, uh, get in get into it. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. SSD are a band that changed hardcore forever, and continue to influence bands and people playing this music to this day. They are a band that is legendary. I traded half my CD collection away. My, my pretty much my whole CD collection away when I was a kid to get a copy of The Kids Will Have Their Say, their debut LP. There's also Get It Away. There's They're really such a heavy band. And I, I've when I told some people that this episode was coming, I've been receiving a lot of texts. A lot of people are very excited about hearing this guy on the show. Keep your ears to the ground because there's going to be a huge SSD announcement this week. It's kind of hinted at in this episode, but... You you will have a chance very soon to experience the greatness of SSD in your own home. Because they're going to come and play house shows for everyone. <laughs> no, that's not it. Uh, but keep your ears to the ground. That's coming out later on this week. There's going to be the big announcement. I, I don't really know if I should be uh, rambling on anymore. Oh, Ben Shepard is the name of the guy from Soundgarden. We could not remember the last name of. Um, I, I think I, I was thinking of Matt Cameron when I said Matt Cameron, but... Ben Shepard is who we're trying to think of. And I think that's the only note I have here. Uh, I'm not going to ramble on anymore because this is a long one. So sit. Oh, and before we do get into this episode, though, huge thank you to Nancy uh, for helping make this happen. Uh, Nancy Brill, of course, wrote the incredible book, I'm Not Holding Your Coat. You can find that anywhere you buy books. And you listen to Nancy's episode when Nancy was on the show, completely separate from Al's episode because they're representing two well we talk about this in the episode you'll hear it all right sit back relax and enjoy al Brill on turned out a punk (laughs) 
Al, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, thank you for having me. I've been uh, looking forward to it. Well, I, I have been, as I was telling you off air, looking forward to this thing for almost 30 years now because, as I was saying, SSD were one of the first bands that I kind of fell in love with when I was getting into hardcore. And to be here talking to you, it's it's a huge thrill. So, uh, once again, we're going to hopefully nerd out. But i got to start this off the way they all start off, which is, Al, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it? So... I guess go back a little bit into my music thing. So I just I started like becoming aware of music, uh, like like rock music. I'd say probably seventy five ish or something like that. You know, like eighth grade. A uh, couple a girl with me, you know, Queen and stuff like that. So from Queen, I you know started to see the big arena rocks. So I couldn't get into the clubs, and then uh, you know saw you know the groups like Boston, all the, all the arena touring acts. But I always felt like, geez, this is all. This is all it is. I, I get extremely bored watching them. I, I could barely get through the concert. I just was like, you know, I found myself like looking around, walking around the arena. So it wasn't like I was like, but I definitely loved, uh, you know, the whole music thing. Uh, I've, you know, even dating back a little before that, liking music. So, anyways, uh, uh, I'd say '78 was a big year because I got my license. So now I could start driving around and getting into a lot of trouble, you know. So that that was like a big opening for me to really start exploring, you know, that looking, um, you know, looking into the phony IDs and trying to see if I can get clubs. I remember one, you know, I know you're from Canada. I had one of my IDs that I was John Taylor from, I think Ontario, Canada or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I went for like, I had the choice to go out, out of the country. And I said, I'm going to get one ID that's out of country. Then I had another one from Ohio, you know, I, mean, I had a various sorts of them. And I can tell you later on how that came back to haunt me in a way, but so I, I you know, I had IDs. So I started going to clubs, in Boston, I remember seeing like Mission of Burma, uh, still like saying, you know, like started checking out those Boston bands and being really uh, disappointed, <laughs> like really disappointed, saying, man, this is I'm going to turn, you know, 21 or 20. And this is what I got. So, you know, I said, uh, this isn't going to work for me, you know. So I uh, went back to drawing board and uh, kind of rethought things and uh, decided to play guitar around that period, like uh probably 79, I think I took up guitar and I, you know, it's a big stretch for me because I don't consider myself particularly uh, the guy that like, if you, you ask people I went to high school with, they're not going to say, yeah, I knew he was going to be a rocker someday. He's going to play in a punk rock. I don't think they would have, you know, they probably most likely, I don't even know what they would say, you know, uh, but it wouldn't be that. So I don't think, you know, that was really necessary in my destiny. So I was trying to like kind of buck the trend and uh, you know, see what I could do with my, with music. But I did, uh, most important person, I guess, that might have helped me get a little quicker was um, this guy Cliff Cunningham from San Diego. And I, in that summer of '79, probably a little bit in '78, I hung around with his brother a lot, and he turned me on to like uh, Highway to Hell, ACDC. So I started, you know, like I think Highway, Highway, you know, uh, Bon Scott's like a different kind of singer. Like so, if you listen to the traditional radio music, you know. And also when you hear Bon Scott, you're like, Jesus, this is great. You know, like, I think they actually were getting some radio way of play when Highway to Hell came on, but it's really not the radio way of play they got when Back at Black came out, you know, the push they got then. In fact, I don't think there was much of a push, but I, I can't remember. Um, so anyways, he he also he also sent his brother out, the Black Flag, uh, uh, that yellow, the one with the yellow one with the, like... Jealous again? Guns. Yeah, Jealous again. Yeah. I think he said... Uh, 
maybe the Dead Kennedys record, like you know, like you get assortment. It was like ACT, Sinister Brothers, some things. So Circle Jerks, I got you think something Circle Jerks. So uh, I got to listen to that. So then I was like, wow, you know, and I was into the. I already seen the Ramones. I think the Ramones is like a critical band in the whole evolution. So and I think most people probably around my age went through that thing. But they saw the Ramones, like you know, in the in the late seventies. And then we're looking for the next thing. I was big into Cheap Trick, Van Halen, 78, you know, but always looking for the, you know, Van Halen, when I saw Van Halen, you know, they were kind of what I was looking for a little bit. You know, they were very incredible, those first shows, jumping off the stage, and it was really quite visual, you know. I remember I, I used to scalp tickets, so I bought, like, uh, the first, uh, I think the first 30 row, the you know, first three rows, at the, they played the UFO theme, it was like a 2000-seater. First time Van Halen came through Boston, so, you know, I was, real, I was onto them right at the beginning. They played some general admission shows in the Cape. I saw them. I actually traveled down to Virginia to see them. So I was kind of into Van Halen a lot, into Cheap Trick. I, mean, I kind of like met Rick, Rick Nielsen a few times. So I was big into him. But, but you know, the Ramones and then and then all of a sudden Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, all that came into my orbit. I started driving in, you know, seeing more clubs, sneaking in more places and then get more exposure to that. So that's really how I found my way to punk rock, you know, through the, I'd say the, the conduit would have been the Ramones and that it would have been Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, that kind of stuff. At the same time, I was exploring English punk rock a little bit, you know, so I was like, and I wouldn't even call it punk rock. I was into the Cure, you know, I listened to the Cure, uh, UK Subs, um, Buzzcocks, Sex Pistols, obviously, that kind of thing. Yeah. Probably a lot more, but that's basically what I remember. Big UK subs fan, actually, and uh, yeah, that then I think when I when I discovered the more the US hardcore thing, and I got more is more like that was more rock and more like my niche, you know, like combination of rock. And then and then I found the Bad Brains. Then I I thought I found like the pinnacle of everything. To me, the Bad Brains were ACDC. Like you know, that's who they were. You know, I mean, some people wouldn't get that, but if you saw them in 1981. You know, being in that room with them, unlike any experience you'll ever, I could have gone through. And it was, it would be like seeing ACDC in a small little club. You know, there's no doubt in my mind, uh, that's what it would have been like. And probably even, I think it was, would have been better, you know, or, or uh, you know, like Liz Zeppelin in a small club. That's the way I consider seeing the Bad Brains. And like I saw them at this like A7 club, 171, these tiny, tiny clubs, you know, and they had been doing it for a while. So, I mean, I was probably late to the bad brains game. I mean, I think they just come to New York shortly when I discovered them. So they hadn't been around New York long, but you know, they had already done their, they'd burnt their bridges, I think going up through DC and, you know, probably, you know, <laughs> probably where look, I'm sure that, you know, you could find the history with them. Like, you know, I think they're the greatest band of all time, but they have a history of, you know, going through like uh, guys that tried to help them along, you know, and it's probably like a, it's probably a page of like, 12 people that tried to help them all along the way, you know, a trail from DC to Boston, to New York, whatever, you know? And uh, yeah, well, I think get, before we get to all that stuff, like going back to when you mentioned, you know, Van Halen, I uh, went too long, by the way, sorry. No, good. what are you talking about? This is amazing. I, I knew I had to get from point A to point B and I was trying to figure out how quick I could do it. You know, <laughs> no, this is, this is the, this is the exact okay. case. I want this thing to move, please. Like okay. this is, this is perfect. But like, you know, you, you say, you know, ACDC, uh, cheap trick and Van Halen, like, less so with cheap trick but certainly with van halen and acdc both those bands were weirdly like kissing cousins with punk rock you know there's that van yeah, halen flyer, you know that ramon i was van a halen. subscriber to circus magazine okay so 
yeah. like you know like those are you know you, you got like the you know you get the new wave bands were in circus magazine this this is like it, it, you know people won't understand this but back then it was really hard to get exposed like they those bands weren't played on the radio you know necessarily uh you know uh like album we said thing called like where they played like deep cuts or album cuts in boston but that kind of just was like fading out when i kind of started listening to the radio and stuff you know it became more like you know like heavy rotation kind of cuts and stuff like that mm -hmm. so you didn't you weren't going to get uh but we had did have a station bcn who were like you know i remember seeing a uh i think uh like acdc did a live concert on that like you know that concert network or whatever and stuff and i think there was some there was some good shit you know there was a little bit of exposure but ultimately you know back then i remember like for me you know before i met you know this cliff cunningham who sent me the black fat black black flag all that stuff um you know you go to the you go to like a we had this store called like a department store, Caldor or Target or whatever, you know, the equivalent of like, and, you know, it used to just be like the records be lined up and you'd like look at the cover and a lot of people bought records based on the cover art, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, because we didn't, you know, you didn't get, you didn't really radio, like if you don't have radio and you don't have a brother and sister that are necessarily cool, you know, it's like, and if you don't hang around with cool friends, <laughs> you know, you're not going to probably get exposed to a lot of music. So, you know, Circus Magazine was one of the ones I think Cream I bought every once in a while. But, uh, you know, I definitely subscribed to Circus. I mean, that's where I got the fake IDs out of the back of that, by the way, too. So Circus Magazine played a huge, huge role in making me who I am. Uh, <laughs> I remember that <laughs> the ad for the phony IDs in the back. Because um, you like Cheap Trick, did you ever like the real kids and all um, from Boston? You know, that, those are the kind of bands that I really uh, didn't like. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, you know, just I, I'm not saying I put anyone down, you know. Yeah. But I'm just saying wasn't where i was coming from you know like that's like garage rock rock mm -hmm. i would consider it garage rock, you know the garage rock bands yeah i don't really uh uh like the liars or another garage rock band yeah, famous yeah. boston band yeah i that's that was the scene that was kind of going when i came okay and there was also a lot of bands that were kind of playing you know strangely enough you know like like mission of burma but to a more art degree let's say you know like more you know combined gang of four mission of burma and uh fugazi that's that's what was in boston when i was there okay yeah I mean, you know not not heavy guitars you know like i'm a heavy guitar guy that's the best way to describe it like like you know when you the, guy, the bands you just mentioned i'm not putting them down okay but i don't like telecasters i don't like that sound yeah i don't like twangy tingy i don't like fender ramps you know i just don't you know but it's not like they're not i'm not saying it's bad or anything i just don't like it so I like heavy guitars. You know, that's to me forms like that forms basically everything, you know, for me. <laughs> what about La Peste, Better Off Dead? That's got some heavy guitars. Well, well, that's a big, that's a big Boston, uh, you know, that's the big crossover band that I'm supposed to like right now. But I have such a bad taste in my mouth <laughs> from all those Boston bands, I couldn't accept them because my singer, believe it or not, my singer, Springer, was heavily into those bands mm -hmm. he used to roadie for la peste and pastiche and the real kids so you know your interview at spring would be a whole different thing he embraced those bands he loved them he knows them all they're his friends i wanted nothing to do with them my goal when i hit boston was to blow the entire music scene up with a mm -hmm. you know blow it up that's what i tried to do you know because i was upset that there wasn't uh it wasn't all ages okay i couldn't you know the fact that you know, the drinking age was 20 and i think i was 19 then the drinking age became 21 and i was 20 so i was always like one year behind right so 
I think it's ridiculous that I had to wait till 21 to go see bands. You know, it just, it's just, you know, and, and uh, you know, in many ways I took a stand against that, you know, like, like we didn't, we, we, you know, played a couple times, you know, over 21 clubs or whatever, but for the most part, we were an all ages man, you know, and, you know, strategically once in a while you, you might have to play something, but it wasn't often, like I could probably count on one hand how many times we played over 21 clubs, you know, um, Number one, you didn't play. We didn't play it a lot, but there's no way, the you know, growing up with the bitter taste I had in my mouth, you know, like a like say ACD was playing or Cheap Trick was playing. This, our big club was a paradise at the time. Okay, you know, they never did like all ages or 18 plus or anything. It was all it was all whatever the drinking age was. You know, there's this club in my hometown that all of a sudden was the first club that I knew about in the area to break that trend and do the wristband thing. Okay, it was called the it's called it used to be called the Harbor House. Then it became the main act. And believe it or not, like uh uh I don't even know who was booking it back then, but all of a sudden they started doing come strange bookings like ma- the band magazine played there. Yeah, you know? yeah, well, that's odd. <laughs> this is Lynn. We're talking a very kind of blue collar <laughs> town. A band magazine played my hometown, you know, in 1980 or something. You know, we're not you know, uh <laughs> you know, people didn't know who magazine was in my hometown, <laughs> you know. I did, but no one else did, you know, Howard Devoto and everything. Um who are they playing with? Were they playing huh? with like? Were, did they play with a local band? Like, who are they playing with there? Oh, I can't remember. You're right. That's a good point. Who 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 opened up for him? I probably someone like the Nervous Eaters or something like. Yeah. Oh, this band Sass or uh, Stomp is. I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't. <laughs> you know, they all were kind of headliners in themselves. Yeah, I wasn't. I should have been. You're right, but I wasn't paying attention to who was opening. If there was an open, I probably was out uh, fighting in the parking lot, <laughs> <laughs> waiting to get in for the Ramones, but. You know, they were the first club to actually uh, let a kid in, you know, and it was yeah. uh, it was uh, exciting, you know, to get in, you know, this was exciting, you know, so like I wasn't going to play and deny people of what that excitement I felt. So, you know, I really, uh, you know, we started out in a, our first shows were in a gallery, then we moved to like another kind of gallery space. And, uh, you know, I think we played the rat once and it was an important show, actually a pivotal show because we got a, a big article in a local news, a local like weekly newspaper was called the Boston Phoenix. And this guy, uh, uh, Doug Simmons wrote this good article, kind of controversial at the time. I remember, I don't, I don't really remember what it was. It was shocking. I think to some people, <laughs> like what he said, you know, like, uh, they really, you know, he reviewed us. We played this rat, but there was a riot. You know, the bouncers tried to stab someone or beat someone up. I don't know all that kind of typical shit in a club that would happen at that time. They weren't ready for us, you know, and you kind of expect, I remember thinking I had to hire uh, police, maybe even going into the show. I was thinking I got to, I got to buy some ha- ex cops or something. I knew there was going to be a bad thing happening. You know, anyways, yeah. it was an important show just to kind of like let them know we were there, but then we kind of pulled back out and went back to the art galleries and the, and the spaces that were kind of more common, you know, uh, and that's where the whole Boston hardcore started really kind of started out at art galleries and, uh, these like lost spaces, you know, it's fascinating to me because like this sort of sentiment about hating the scene that was just prior is echoed by Brandon, John Brandon, when he's on the show, when I talk to Ian McKay, he's talking about the same sort of thing. And you, you hear it, it's, you know, taken up all the time in the West coast, like how different that sort of second wave of hardcore was from that first wave of punk. Like it really feels like there was a break and this thing was like a new thing in, in all these scenes where it kind of explodes. Yeah. I, I think it, to me, it was a big break, you know, like, uh, 
I don't know. I just felt, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, I guess I'm not afraid to put Boston down, but I just, you know, I was disappointed. I, 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 I didn't think it was geared towards kids. You know, it was geared towards people. It just was geared towards people want to go out on a Thursday night, a Friday night or whatever and get drunk. It was not, it was not a music scene. I didn't think it was. I'm sure LaPest would argue, but you know, I didn't, I didn't go there to get drunk. You know, I really didn't, you know, I, I went there to enjoy music. That's what I wanted to do. You know, so. Uh, what about a song like I'm Straight by Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers? Had you heard that? I, I know the Jonathan, <laughs> I know Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers out, but I, I can't say I'm familiar with his catalog. Oh, he's got this song called I'm Straight. That's really? like the first straight edge song, uh, uh, I think, ever. When did that come out? I think it's what, 75 that LP comes really? out? 74, maybe? Never heard of it. That would have been a good reference point. How'd you hear? You're a fan of them? Or? I'm just like a nerd for all this stuff. And I think it's oh. like one of the fascinating things, like over time, obviously the context disappears. So yeah. I look at Boston, I look at all these amazing bands happening, but only when you're living through it, you see like how nuanced it all was and how these were like different worlds. Yeah. I mean, it took a, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie and I'm not going to say I take credit for it, but it took, it wasn't easy to get, you know, the Boston thing kind of, because, you know, I'm sure every city might have the same thing. But there's a, there was a strong pull to go to the clubs with this thing, you know, certainly after it got a little popular, you know, mm -hmm. and I know that I, you know, resisted those, you know, those temptations, certainly after, you know, we, we did establish like uh, all ages shows at some of the, the bigger venues and, uh, you know, stuck to that, although it was like on a Sunday afternoon, which I don't really consider what I was looking for, you know, necessarily looking for as a prime time, I, you know, to me, it should have been a Friday night or Saturday, whatever. It shouldn't be no difference. You should go be able to go to a club and not drink that's the way i look at it that that's the way it should be and uh you know fuck them if they can't you know it's everything let's face it they're trying to make profits on people's own drinks so that's not in their interest at all so if the bands don't take a stand then no one's going to take a stand and i but i understand it's business you know maybe if i was in that business i you know i wouldn't know I, if i was in that business i would try to make it music you know but obviously people you know i understand business really too you know like i you know i i understand it well, so, yeah, and it's, it doesn't surprise me. Well, and like you're saying, it is a business to sell alcohol, you know, and that's you're really seeing that now, you know. <laughs> There's a reason no one wants to have masks in in bars and clubs because that impedes right. the drinking that goes on, and that's that's ultimately, I guess, what you know the the industry is kind of run on, on a club level at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, uh, it's interesting that whole mask thing and in the, in the music thing, you know. Like, I mean, uh. You just like maybe go back into thinking like, you know, I wrote this song fun to you, you know, and it's funny. Also, I heard during the pandemic, everything was like, I want to have some fun. I want to have fun. Hey, can't we go out and have fun? You know, so you're just like, you know, when you said that, like it hit home to me, like, you know, like I don't really like, I don't have that mentality, you know, like mm -hmm. everything in life doesn't have to be fun to me. You know, mm -hmm. I really don't think that way. You know, life isn't supposed to be all fun. Now, other people think, well, fuck it, man, if you're not having fun, like, why are you even living or something, you know? I just don't share that philosophy, you know, like I believe, you know, I have fun getting things done, you know, uh, I have fun, you know, I have fun so many other ways. I don't need to just like be constantly, you know, has some, some kind of a stimulation like that, you know, if fun, just doing nothing, <laughs> you know, I don't know, but I'm just saying, I just don't like that thing, like the stimulation fun thing, you know, so, uh, but the mass and everything, like, you know, we can't make a little small sacrifice even getting back to the, the mandate thing which i'm not going off topic but i mean we, we really can't make these small sacrifices once in a while is it become that 
you know, polarized. No one can make a sacrifice. No one can, you know, I don't like to wear seatbelts and stuff like that, you know. And if they made me, if they truly were sitting next to me in my car with me, I would wear that seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, another thing I find uh, fascinating is your motivation for starting SSD because it seems like it's it's so different than people's normal reasons for wanting to start a band. You know, like you normally have a you start a band because there's a goal in mind, and it really seems from stuff I've interviews I've read with you and things that you said that like SSD was was it's almost like a concept more than it's just a band. You know, like and even the fact that you like the way you're learning to play guitar to do this band, it seems like it it feels like it's it's different. It's so much di more different and so much more in yeah, keeping with what so. hardcore bands are now. Yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, I did think that way. Like I never really learned other people's songs, you know, I just learned, just tried to concentrate on what I was doing. Only maybe I think there's like two or three songs I might've learned. And then certainly now that's probably why my playing still sucked is that I never really found, <laughs> found it enjoy. You know, I can't say like, I'm not one of the guys that say, you know, I'm going to sit down and play guitar because it's purely enjoyable. I look at that guitar as work, you know, but I mean, mm -hmm. I look at everything as work. I really do, you know, and work is enjoyable to me. So it's not like I look at it as a negative thing, but it's, it's not like, like enjoy, enjoyment would be, I, mean, I can't even think of what's enjoyable right now. Cause I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but uh, yeah, I looked at it like, like I looked at it as a challenge really, you know, like, I mean, I challenged to blow the Boston music scene up. The, the challenge to, you know, I didn't think I should be, I didn't think I was destined to be a guitar player to, to like fuck with the universe and say, I'm going to play guitar. You know, I don't, I, you know, to think of all the people in high school, you know, who probably, you know, I just, you know, that's what kind of like drove me, you know, like, I really don't think that, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that I was meant to necessarily be this guitar player, but I was going to do it, you know, so. Yeah, like, it's really, you know, I, I watched an interview, change, you know, I really thought, I, I don't know, I, I shouldn't even go to down this road or something, but I mean, I really feel that someone has to, you know, someone has to change things, someone has to take a stand, you know. So that's like my whole life, you know? So like, I felt I had to be in a band to change things. Now, I, I, I don't want to say this way, but I mean, like, I'm, I don't really like, you know, I can't say uh, being in a band is like the greatest thing I've, you know, I, blame it. I like creating, you know, creating mm -hmm. is the big thing. But like, you know, just saying, and being on a team, I enjoy teams, you know, my whole life, all they did was try to build teams, the next team after another. So to me, you know, being a band is a team thing. And I, re I cherish that like nothing else, but, you know, saying, you know, Playing music on a stage, and maybe that's the best way I could frame it. Playing music on a stage isn't like, you know, something I dream about, you know. And I and I uh I mean I I did the best I could at it. Don't get me wrong, I took it's really serious, but I'm not saying it's not something that I like said, you know, that's the you know, that's what I I don't know, just not like the pinnacle, you know, playing on stage. I, you know, I love I like I like probably, you know, I think create and I'm not, I don't want to put it down, but creating it's all to me it's about creating creating a scene you know creating a, a live show creating you know whatever record you know that's kind of what's about you know well, was is it being in the studio then like do you enjoy the studio aspect of well being? i did you know this is the you know of course life is a process life is uh you know and so during the ssd i was overwhelmed by a lot i did my best okay because i was like you know it's kind of the uh, you know, the driver behind the band, you know, the songwriter. And, you know, I'm just still fresh off playing guitar here, you know. So, you know, throwing a lot at throwing a lot at a 20-year-old kid or whatever, you know. Yeah. So I did my best. Certainly, 
Well, we're talking about the records all these years later, so you you did a pretty damn good job with them if we're still talking about them. Yeah, I mean, I tried. You know, I tried really hard. I did my best, but, uh, you know, uh, I lost my train of thought. Yeah. No, I, I think what you're saying is is interesting because, like, yeah, when you first go in that studio, it is overwhelming, you know, and especially trying to put your ideas down in a form. And you're, you're not even thinking, I don't think, well, I don't mean to put this on you, but, like, that we're going to be talking about this you know, 40 years. Absolutely not. No, no, no. I had not, had not really considered that. I think I, I mean, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to throw, throw some new ones out here. I really never had fear in my life during this whole period. Never was intimidated by anything. And now looking back on it, maybe I should have been, you know, because I mean, what was I take? I took on a lot there, you know? Uh, And now looking, you know, like the fact that people still talking about these records many years later, I'm not saying I didn't think it was possible. You know, I did think it was possible. I didn't think it was like, you know, I didn't plan on it. That's all I'm going to say. But I did mm-hmm. think it was possible because, you know, I, uh, you know, <clears throat> a lot, you know, a lot in large respect, you know, a lot of my straight edge stuff that I wrote, uh, you know, people read, read my lyrics and stuff, you know, they might say, Jesus, this guy writes about straight edge a lot. <laughs> Everything is straight edge, straight, you know, I'm like this, but I felt like, you know, it was an, something important to me and I wanted to talk about it. And I also felt like, you know, I did, uh, it, you know, I never said it back then, but I mean, I was planting seeds, you know, I was trying to plant seeds and uh, I, I had a feeling that they might sprout at some point. And, uh, you know, that's what I was trying to do. But I wasn't, you know, I don't want to make it sinister, but I was trying to like, uh, you know, uh, I just was hoping that people would open their mind up a little bit and just think of think of things differently. And to me, the whole thing with Straight Edge was about, to me, it was about a choice, okay? when I grew up, there was no choice. Okay. I didn't have a choice. Okay. I could be straight edge or I could, you know, it's like basically either you want to be a guy who goes out on Friday and Saturday nights, or you want to be a guy that stays in the house, you know? Mm. And and I didn't want to be a guy that stayed in the house. You know, I wanted to go out and with my, with friends, you know, uh, I wasn't probably, you know, wasn't some big, super popular guy. So I had my limitations. So, I, but I didn't want to retreat all the way back into like uh monk land you know uh so i uh so when i grew up to me there wasn't that choice okay and 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 i a big thing for me was seeing the dc guys I actually even started before uh meeting ian because i actually met henry seeing henry uh henry gave me a story about you know uh he was uh with all these straight edge guys i met him in new york city at irving plaza like in like june of 90, 1981 something like that you know it really impressed me, man. Henry Rollins, shaved head and everything. And there was a bunch of these DC kids, X's on the hands, and not asked them. And he told me about this thing. He told me that everything was straight edge, but the truth is later later on I found out he might have been the only guy at the time. Those other guys, he were they were not. I know that for a fact because later on people told me. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, but he 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 left, you know, that image is a strong image. I uh of seeing those people, you know, and it kind of matched with what I was going through, you know. It matched with, at that point, at that point, I was kind of, I'd already, you know, started hanging around with these kids that I'm in the band with, SSD. And I, I kind of like, you know, uh, during high school, you know, uh, you know, probably from the eighth grade to like uh, uh, 19 or something like that, you know, like used to drink on the weekends with my friends, you know, in the, in the, in the woods, you know, I wrote uh, Force Down Your Throat was for me sitting in the woods, you know, drinking a Schlitz beer, you know, thinking like, oh my God, this stuff tastes disgusting. Warm Schlitz beer in the woods, you know? <laughs> I was like, this is disgusting. What am I doing, you know? 
I mean, not the, you know, not the fact I just didn't understand what I was doing. You know, I questioned everything during that time, but I, I understood why I was doing it. You know, I was doing it because I didn't want to sit in the house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I completely understood what I was doing it because I didn't want to sit in the house. So what straight edge meant to me, what seeing Rollins and seeing those imagery was, you know what, you can kind of, you can kind of strut around and be proud that you're, you're not drinking. Okay. So that was what, and it was like a, it was a light bulb moment. I said, this is powerful, you know, because you know, what did you, at that point, what did you show, associate with people that weren't drinking uh, drugs, maybe like uh, the dare movement or something, or the, you know, something politically with the politicians involved. A lot of religion yeah. stuff too. Something like that. Yeah. Like yeah. believe me Friday night. Sometimes I go to those religious play. I go to like, the religious place would have this thing where you play street hockey, you know, and I used to think to myself, this is like I'm 15. I think, man, why do these people want me playing street hockey in their church? They're trying to get me into this fucking place, you know? <laughs> and I, you know, I became very suspicious all along. because I'm like, why the fuck am I doing this church? I'm not even this denomination. I'm Catholic. I'm in some different denomination. I don't even know what the fuck it was. And I'm like, what am I doing here? Something doesn't feel right. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I had to break free of that stuff. But so, you know, straight edge to me was I could be straight and be proud, you know, and I was very proud. And that's that's what I tried to promote with straight edge imagery to be proud of it. And so I was thinking down the road, this might some kid in high school. He he will be faced with the same decision, but he's going to say I'm straight edge. And you know what? He's going to go out on Friday and Saturday and he's going to be at the same place as those other people are. But he's not going to drink or he's not going to be smoking weed or doing drugs. And you know what? He's going to be as cool as those other motherfuckers, you know? And mm-hmm. that's the vision that I saw in it. That's my vision. It, people might not like that. You know, I'm not saying I never talked to Ian about that, but that was what I saw, you know? And so I was throwing seeds thinking that maybe, you know, even if one person grabbed it, I was thinking, I was really thinking that, you know, that's, you know, that's, I think that's a good thing. You know, like, yeah. I, I believe in straight edge more than I ever believed in it. And yet, I'm probably in more trouble, you know, I mean, more physical pain and more trouble than I've ever been, you know? So for me to say that after everything I've been through that I believe in straight edge more than anything, uh, you know, it's a big thing for me, you know? So I don't, I don't have any regrets about it. I don't think uh, in many ways, I think we're a stepping stone band. I, I, I look online, I watched, you know, that thing on, on, um, watch this thing on, uh, what's it called? Straight edge interviews on Instagram. And I, and I read all the people. I just want to see, you know, if they mention SSD and any of the, like the ref, the influences and really do I see it? Okay. Which is interesting because it does tell me that, you know, that, that the work that I did was early on, it somehow must've got lost along the way or something, because uh, I don't think it's remembered, you know? And uh, you know, another thing, you know, it's an important thing. I think I took the brunt, like uh, you know, Ian took a lot of brunt of it because he didn't want anything to do with it really. So he took a lot of the shit that I created. I think I created a lot of shit that he had to answer for, you know, and I never really, you know, never really said anything to him about it. I uh, never really, I don't think we've had any deep discussions about it. I just felt, uh, you know, empowered enough that when I saw what I saw and then, you know, combining meeting Ian shortly after meeting Henry and Ian's an amazing guy, great, you know, amazing. Uh, you know, it just, uh, but he really didn't, <laughs> he was not pushing straight edge, trust me, uh, during those years at all. Yeah, you know, when I knew him, you know, he was he put, not, you know, he wrote, he wrote the song. He did not want to go near that. And I think now looking back on it, I don't know. I mean, those guys stayed with me. Minor Threat stayed in my house and stuff like that. But I look back on it, I think that uh, Brian Baker and, and the other guys might have been giving him some shit about it, you know? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, like, read, 
Go on, I read sorry. stuff that I read. No, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I no, I, please cut me off when I want. I read stuff that Brian says or something, and I think that you know Brian's uh, impression of the whole Boston thing. This, you know, I just think he was overwhelmed by it a little bit. You know, the the whole thing. But uh, so who know? You know, I never sat down. In fact, I that's a video I want to do is just me and him riffing on some stuff that we never talked about. You know, because we when we do get together, we have deep conversations. You know. But I can't say we've ever riffed about the things we probably should talk about once in a while, just to like get them down on tape, you know. But um, because like you know, I never, I, I, you know, I wasn't like. Here's the other thing, like people, like I didn't go around telling people how to live either. You know, what I'm saying that was not my thing. I was there to make a choice. You know, what I'm saying I wanted to establish the choice. You know, not just put it on the ballot. You know, so to speak. You know, I wasn't. I didn't get into the rules of straight edge. I didn't get into what you can't do. You can't do you know, caffeine, this and that, but, you know, that wasn't what it was about to me. It's just about young kids kind of like not getting fucked up, maybe, you know, and, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I smoke a ton of weed right now, uh, same because of my situation. And I don't think if I smoked weed early on, I don't think, I don't see it as a positive, you know, like I do it and I try to do it because, you know, to keep myself alive, to be honest, that's why I'm doing it right now. You know, that's how bad my situation is. I smoke weed right now to stay alive you know uh, i don't think it helps with the pain but somehow it keeps me from not wanting to kill myself and that's why i use it uh, i get I'm, you know i get a lot of anxiety my back is so messed up right now uh so you know i think i have an actually excellent perspective of straight edge right now i've been on more opiates than uh anyone i've been on more opiates than you would even imagine i'll prescribe legally prescribe i'm not saying i'm not putting out there that you know i'm a, a junkie or anything but I've been on more pills than I could describe to you. Okay. So I've seen things that I might not have expected to see when I was 19 years old. So I have, uh, you know, much more uh, deep appreciation of, of, of things. Okay. And maybe the, you know, 20 year old guy that wrote about straight edge uh, in 10 songs or whatever, maybe, you know, there was some naivete in some of it, you know, cause I don't know what everyone's dealing with. You know, I know that I'm dealing with a tough situation right now that I wouldn't wish on anyone. And, um, Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'm sorry you're dealing with that because it, 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 what you said earlier, what you did when you throw those seeds, like I'm one of those people that got those seeds. And like, yeah, I, I started smoking cannabis 10 years ago now when I was 30. Um, you know, so I'm not straight edge anymore. Yeah, yeah. But being straight edge when I was young made all the difference in my life. You know, honestly, that's what I don't want to say this, but that's all I was supposed to get you to like 30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, was, that was my idea. You know, <laughs> if I can get someone to like 30, I'm doing pretty good, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, like because I mean, growing up, it's a tough, it's a tough age, you know? Yeah. It's a tough age. You know, I'm not saying that I change at 30, but I'm just saying, and I, I was thinking, like, even if I could just get people through some of those rough stages early on and get them to go out on Friday and Saturday night to feel proud, you know. I don't give a fuck what they do when they're 23 or something, what, you know, 30 or whatever. I just wanted to get through those teenage years with not feeling like they had to give into the pressures, you know, mm -hmm. and that, you know, I mean, I, 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 I actually didn't give into the pressures for a long time. And then I kind of gave into them, you know, and I, I did, I guess, looking back on it in many ways, I let myself down, you know, cause you know, who knows, maybe I should have. Well, like you said, it's a long life, you know, yeah. and you don't know where it's going to take you and you know, like things, you know, I definitely would <laughs> at 15 or like at 19 and 20, you know, was like, I'm going to be straight for the rest of my life. And there's no question in my mind at that point. And then uh, I was on all these crazy. I felt the same way, by the way, you know, like yeah. uh, I felt the same way. I mean, how I fell into this situation is just, 
it's almost like I've, I, you know, not to cut you off here. I just think no, I please. cut you off, but I mean, I, I was thinking like, you know, like I joke about it, like, you know, I've actually made little memes that, you know, I'm like the fucking poster boy for Oxycontin. You know, I am in many ways. I am, you know, I, the timing was unbelievable. You know, my back situation showed up right when that drug was became a popular, but like, I can't say here that I'm, 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 uh, you know, I, I've had my run-ins with Purdue Pharma. Don't get me wrong. I know everyone's anti Purdue Pharma, anti, uh, What's the name? The Heckler family. I can't remember. Uh, Seckler? Sheckler? Sheckler? Sheckler. Whatever, yeah. you know? But I mean, once again, I understand the thing. A drug company, their job, their goal is to sell drugs, you know? Somewhere along the way, I got to believe there was an engineer, a scientist who believed that he could help uh, people in pain, you know, help their lives with a sincere uh, mission. You know, I believe that. I honestly believe, I have to believe that, number one, because I believe in science. And I believe in engineers. And I believe engineers change lives, you know, so I believe that. But, <laughs> you know, in any business, when it gets, you know, we're, we're talking pills. I mean, how easy to sell a pill? It's like, it's like, it's like selling the, uh, you know, it's easy to sell Coke, like uh, tonic and soda, you know, because soda, you get all the transportation costs, you know, pills, there's no, there's no weight to them. You ship them all over the place. It's unbelievable, you know? Mm -hmm. So what a great thing if you can find a pill that everyone wants to take. I get it. So I understand the business and I, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm ambivalent to it. You know, I hate, I don't like what they did. Am I a victim in many ways? Maybe I might be a victim of that whole thing. But at the same time, I had this unbelievable pain that wasn't anywhere near what it is now, by the way. Yeah. And I thought it was overwhelming me, you know, and I look back, you know why I thought it was overwhelming? Because I wanted to be normal. Okay. You know, which is funny too, because I wrote this song called not normal. I mean, I wanted to be normal. So all these songs come around and, and kind of like, you know, come back at me. But I mean, uh, you don't, you can't predict where your life's going to go and stuff like that. But I mean, I thought I'd be straight, you know, and I'm not even safe. I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even declaring by the rules of straight edge that having to take all these painkillers was really violating straight edge either. I don't really give a fuck to be honest. I'm just saying, you know, you got to do what you got to do, you know, and, and, uh, you know, there should be never. Uh, and I, here's what I, here's what I feel kind of weird about this one. I would hate to think I would now, you know, I want to create this choice with straight edge using Ian's uh, song, whatever, pulling out. And maybe someone else would have done the same thing, by the way, who knows? I'm sure someone else would have ran off with it, whatever. But my, my thing was, you know, I would hate to think now if someone had reverse peer pressure, <laughs> it really, you know, needed medications and was saying it didn't take them because they wanted to be straight edge, you know, so it's a slippery slope. And, you know, I don't want to get into the rules of what it is. I think everyone needs to do what they got to do for them. I'm just saying, you know, this, in my opinion, marijuana, I've seen people <laughs> growing up that smoked marijuana and they weren't the most ambitious person, people in life. Okay. And I can tell you right now, part of the reason I smoke, I, I probably use it. I don't smoke, I eat it. I do whatever I do whatever I have to do to it. <laughs> and, you know, it's because I'm, you know, it's a, it's, I'm just trying to get to the next day, man. You know, yeah. so is it escapism? It's what it sure fucking is, you know. Is it couch lock? Probably, you know. But you know, I'm in a bad situation. I can't think of it any worse because now now the whole medical community community is kind of turning their back on me. You can cut all this medical shit out, by the way. No, I'm fine. just trying to give you the real gut, Please. real, you know, gut to the you know, from the heart interview here. That uh um anyways, I that's not my intention. My intention is to inspire, enlighten educate whatever you know i'm just trying to get people you know let's think things differently you know but they gotta think it through themselves you know I, i've never been the kind of guy like i don't do many of this these uh, interviews and this stuff because i mean i don't want people 
to listen to me, read me or whatever. And then kind of like, you know, I want them to think for themselves. You know, I want them to figure it out on their own, but I'm trying to give them some, you know, helpful hints along the way or something, you know, tell them what, what I experienced or whatever, tell them to be proud. You know, if you don't want to drink, be proud. You don't want to drink. You know, mm -hmm. if you want to drink or smoke, go drink and smoke when you're 16 or whatever, you know, I'm just saying, I didn't really think I wanted to do that, you know? And uh, I felt I kind of went down that trap. Hey, I made my choices, you know, but establishing a straight edge was a choice that I was going to let someone else be there for them. You know? So it was like, you know, it's like my gift to them. Whatever. Yeah. No, I, I think straight edge <laughs> for me as a kid was the ultimate escape hatch. Like it finally, like you're saying, like it gave me a way to tell people like, well, you're a dork for doing this shit. No, I'm cool for not doing this shit, you know, as opposed to like completely reversing yeah, the script. Flip on the people. switch, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's, 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 a, you know, it's a mind fuck, you know, but yeah. it's a good mind fuck because it's getting people thinking, right? You know, like, like, hey, you're 16 years old. I don't think you need to be smoking weed, really, man. It's, it's uh, you know, it's not going to help you. I can't. I don't think the. Hey, I'm into taking things that might be performance enhancing. I honestly don't think at that point, if you're real young, unless you're, you know, whatever. I don't want I shouldn't need, I don't want to be a doctor here, whatever. Do what you gotta do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying uh if I was 16, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be, you know, I want I don't even want to smoke it right now or vape it or chew it or eat it. But you know, I've done this experiment, which is really scary, but um I've been off opiates, uh I've withdrawn from opiates probably 30 times, okay. Well, at yeah. my at home by myself. And you know, I don't know if you ever know about it, no friends, but it's not it's brutal. Probably the toughest thing you'll ever do in life. I've done it 30 times at home by myself, no, uh, no, no help. I've ended up in the hospital maybe three times, just, you know, feeling shitty, not yeah. like Odin or you don't know D from whatever. So I've, I've done it unassisted many times, but, um, in getting off the opiates and stuff, you know, uh, when they became legalized in Massachusetts, I got my license over the years. People kept on telling me, get the license, get the license. I'm like, Man, I wrote the fucking album, Get It Away. Why would I want to start smoking? Give me a break, you know? I don't want to put uh, shit in my lungs. I still hate it. I cringe thinking, I'm sitting here puffing my vape. I'm like, there's a lot of people watch this interview and fucking be getting a good kick out of this one. But I'm like, I'm like, but I don't care because, you know, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not ashamed of anything either. But, you know, this is what I have to deal with. And I'm thinking, what am I? My lungs must be angry as shit right now, thinking. I mean, so anyways, I, you know, but, but, when I've gone off of it, okay, the pain is so overwhelming. My life is so unbelievable, unbelievably tough that I, I want to kill myself, you know? And that's being honest, you know? It's not, don't, people shouldn't be like, oh, call, you know, it's just reality, you know? That's, that's what I'm facing. And, you know, this is a guy who never had anxiety his whole life, okay? Never, want, never tried, you know, smoke drugs or anything like stuff. Never drank, you know, well, I drank, I told you in high school. But, um, and now I'm, I'm faced with trying to figure out how to live, really, how to wake up every day and want to get through the day, you know. And uh, somehow the, 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 the marijuana or cannabis or whatever, it gets me from A to B. It gets me to from point A to so like I, I wake up, I try to get to like 11 a.m. in the morning. This is a terrible way to live. From 11 a.m., I try to get to like 3 p.m. From 3 p.m., I try to get to 8, you know, I just try to get to like bedtime. And then I do the same thing the next day. It's a terrible life, but it's a life. It's like the car, the cross I bear and it is what it is. You know, I got to face it. Right. I can't run from it. I'm not on the opiates right now. It's, and the opiates did, the opiates did help me. You know, I got a pension for my job. I was an engineer. I worked 35 years at GE. So, you know, in many ways, you know, Purdue Pharma maybe helped me get my pension. You know, now if I was to go back, this is around 2000 and 
you know, maybe if I retired at 40, I probably, you know, maybe I'd be healthy right now. And I'll tell you that, that, that I'd want to be healthy right now. And with broke, I'd rather be broke and be healthy right now, you know, which is sad because I'd probably, that's tough being broke, <laughs> but yeah. you know, uh, yeah. but anyways, that's, I shouldn't even be going down this road. No, I, I, all I, this used to, I used to make weed documentaries. I made medical yeah. marijuana documentaries or vice. That's how, that's what I started doing before I did wrestling. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful drug. It's a powerful yeah. drug. And it's a, you know, I, th- I believe in the molecule. I definitely believe in the molecule. I don't, you know, I've, I tried to even grow it myself. I think it's terribly uh, difficult to uh, rely on a piece of decaying, uh, uh, decaying plant, right? Because mm. I mean, there's so much thing can be, it could be mold, you know, it could be so many things, you know, in it, that's not good for you that it, I think it's, you know, I, I'm glad it's regulated. I'm glad that, you know, but it's, I think it's, uh, it's, it's something that should be studied. I believe the molecule, I believe the molecule uh, to me represents like almost like an anxiety medication, like a Xanax or something, you know, Absolutely. and uh, I think it's safer than Xanax. So, I mean, I think, I believe it's, it's safer. It's just, it's a tough, it's, I think it's a tough, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, yeah. It's the way I have to use it, it's tough. You know, I have to use it all the time. You know, I haven't used it for, I tried to, you know, I didn't want to be, <laughs> for this interview, I stopped it like four hours ago, you know, but <laughs> usually an all-day thing for me you know yeah well it's you know it's the first plant humans cultivated you know it's like you know like the history of this thing is like we've got cannabinoid receptors all over our body you know like it's it's something that like you're saying it needs more study because yeah there's a lot of benefits that can come from this thing um now i've here's a you know if you're a a smart guy about cannabis i can you know I, I have allergies. I've had allergies to like tree and, you know, and I feel that it's not helping me at all. You know, it, it just intuitively, it can't be helpful to someone who's allergic to grass and mold and uh, all the shit. Right. So I've gone to my allergist asking questions. The medical community is not even prepared no. to answer these questions to me. Okay. So, you know, if you think about it, I don't want to be doing something that's making like, you know, say I can't see the inside of my skin, the inside, but how if my insides is like, you know, irritated from it just because, you're right. I believe that um, the mechanisms are similar to the nerve, you know, it attaches to the nerves, some receptors, the same kind of thing as the opiate thing, you know, in a way, believe me, I think there's a commonality there. Not like, you know, not, I'm not saying that brothers and sisters, but there's, there's, there's linkages certainly haven't gone through opiate withdrawals and stuff like that. You know, they affect, they both affect your nerves in a way, you know? So um, anyways, it's uh hey both both were plants poppy plant was there forever too it's probably the only thing to this date that uh has been developed to treat pain really effectively so you know i think as scientists they should be doing a little bit better in both areas to be honest and they should be like taking the cues from uh the molecule the thc molecule taking the cues from the uh, you know the they should be able to modify the, the opiate molecule to make it so it doesn't uh, people od or something you know fortunately you know, to kill the pain, it's probably going to make people uh, fucked up and people are going to always want to abuse it. Therefore, you never get, uh, you know, you never get, here's back to the, I'm going to full circle now to, uh, to circle back to Purdue Pharma. Right now, name me one company that's going to invest in a, a pain medicine right now for people like me. No one's going to do it. They get sued. It's unpopular. So in a way, you know, uh, this whole opiate thing is kind of, in a way, uh, you know, affected pain patients like me because no one's going to be looking for help. Okay. And I'm not saying opiates are the answer because they're clearly not the answer. They became, uh, they became less effective over, you know, over time for me hmm. building up a tolerance that was like 700 milligrams a day, you know? Uh, 
So that's a lot of oxycontin pills to take, you know. Yeah. Uh, oxycodone. So you know, uh, it's not the anyways. I don't have the answers, but I do believe scientists. You know, hopefully, will keep on working at it and make people's lives better. You know, because when I'm going through, I mean, talking make a documentary on my my whole. You know, I've had eight, eight spine surgeries, complete disaster. My life's been destroyed. And, uh, you know, right now I'm just trying to salvage what I can out of it, you know, and, you know, that's why the whole, um, I guess, uh, you know, I do see my mortality to, so to speak, uh, we could debate or take odds on when it is, you know, I don't think it's too far away. So I, I want to, I did want to kind of straighten some things out, get, you know, I, and I do want to do some interviews like this to put them down on tape, believe it or not, <laughs> you know, maybe I'll plant another seed along the way, you know. But uh, I, I intentionally, like a year ago, I did a couple podcasts, you know, get them on, you know, hopefully you guys do a good, as long as you live to keep these out in space. Cause I think it's, you know, in a way it kind of makes you immortal in a sense, you know, at least, you know, I mean, who are we? We're really just, uh, you know, what, it's not my body. That's uh, really me really. I, I, you know, it's like who you are. So if you capture part of me on, on tape, you know, uh, that's not a bad thing. That's the way I look at it, you know? So that's kind of why I decided to kind of come out of my shell, so to speak, a little bit. And, you know, I, I am taking the time to kind of uh, celebrate the band. I've always been a guy where the band was going to always uh, look forward. I never really dwelled and looked backwards. And that's, you know, you could say that's good, bad or whatever, but that's the way I was, you know, in everything I did in life, I always looked forward to the, you know, the next design at GE or the next, you know, it wasn't like, rest on your laurels or whatever. I think, well, you know, all going forward, that's not a, I don't, that's actually not a positive thing. Once in a while, it's good to uh, enjoy things a little bit. See, I gave you a little hint of what I was early on. Everything's yeah. work, work, work. And maybe I didn't enjoy things long, along the way enough. You know, I'm big into the team thing. I love, you know, my, all the things I did at my job at GE were all teams. So <clears throat> in many ways, you know, I want to, uh, I, I, I want people to feel that I appreciate them. Well, I, I definitely appreciate you. And I hope you're here for a lot longer. And because we got to do at least two more parts to this thing, because I'm going to talk to <laughs> you, talk to you all night. Yeah. But like you were yeah. saying earlier, like. Oh, I already blow the whole interview where I passed it. No. <laughs> oh, is it already too late? Or something? I talked too long. Sorry. No, dude. No, I, I'm, I'm just yeah. saying that we're going to go on a lot longer. But believe me, we're not okay. going to finish tonight because. I feel like I, you know, I, I did touch upon some parts with you right now. Yeah. That, that you, you you know, I probably haven't given you enough about the band stuff. And I gave you stuff about things my wife probably is not going to want me talking about, but I wanted to get them out there. I don't know. Well, I, 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 and I respect, I respect you so much. Like, first of all, is this like idealized person in a band that I grew up idolizing and looking up to, but I think more now as an adult and looking how honest you are and how important truth and reality is to you and and sharing your truth and kind of like letting people in like i think i, I respect you so much al because of of all this shit and like you were saying uh you know just to bring it back to the music thing and immortality you know the the dc guys ian especially they've always kind of put it on well boston but you as far as making it a movement you know, and like oh, they, they did, they did say that. Oh yeah, Ian says yeah. it a lot. Ian. Oh really? Yeah. I never say that to me because I, I really, I'd like to have the conversation where I, I think he's mad at me about it. You know, because you know, I know he didn't push it, and you know, I was, I gotta admit, I it bothered me a little bit because I think it would have been better 
coming from him, you know, because uh, it, 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 it ended up being like a, I felt, and I, this is the conversation I would like to have because I felt like it ended up being like maybe uh, something he, like an aggravation to him. And, uh, and, you know, I didn't want to cause that to him, you know, and uh, it certainly was, you know, you also got to understand, you know, we weren't lauded as like a band that everyone wanted to hang around with. You know what I'm saying? If, you know, you carry the straight edge moniker and, you know, uh, I, you know, let's take it down to my band, like to clear things up too. Straight edge. I didn't go around to my band and said, Hey, you guys, you got to be straight edge. Chris, you got to be straight edge. Spring. I, I just said, I'm straight edge. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That would be so wrong of me to tell, I, you know, I didn't go around and tell them they got to live their own life, you know, and I'm not their babysitter. You know, I can only do what I got to do, set the example I set and everyone's going to live their own life. I'm not a preacher. I don't, I don't, I didn't like to, you know, I don't like to, like I said, I don't like to do a lot of interview stuff that I'm, I'm just a, a guy, you know, but I'm an honest guy. I'd be as honest as I can. I think, you know, there's levels of, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's levels of honesty. And sometimes I'm too pain. I'm painfully honest. You know, it doesn't help me. And, uh, you know, didn't help. I can't say straight edge helped our band. I mean, I'm glad I wouldn't change a thing of it, you know, but it wasn't like, I don't want, I just want people to understand. It wasn't cool to be a straight edge band in 1982. You know, it really <laughs> was. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I think, I think, you know, maybe when they got to the point of the crew, you know, the, the youth crew and stuff like that, maybe, you know, some of the, the seeds started growing, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, the, you know, like, I mean, there's a lot of pressure, like, like I told you, I want to blow Boston up, right. Even maybe my guys in my own band who maybe wanted to play the rat, you know, we had this club called the rat scale, you know, yeah. famous underground, you know, that was like where that pre scene was, you know, maybe he wanted to be there, you know, maybe all the guys in gangrene or J- and I don't want to put words in my mouth. I'm just going to throw the names out. Fuse, Jerry's kids, Gangrene. Maybe that's where they wanted to play. Maybe they just wanted to, uh, uh, maybe just they just wanted to be the next La Peste. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be the next La Peste. You understand? You know, so I'm saying, you know, that that's like not an easy torch to carry. I mean, I did not want to be the next La Peste or the next uh, pastiche. I wanted to blow it up, literally. And I wanted to change things. I wanted them to say, these people are different or whatever. They're doing something different here. You know, that was completely intentional. And I'm not so sure if the entire scene was going to glow, go along with that all the time, you know, cause it's, and I'm only saying that I'm not tooting my horn, you know, more like saying that it wasn't popular. I don't think, you know, it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't, people weren't coming up to me and congratulating me or saying anything. Like, you know, even the guy who wrote the song wasn't even saying anything to me, you know, <laughs> if anything, he was fucking, so, you know, I'm trying to paint the picture here. Even yeah. the guy that wrote the song wasn't saying good work, Al. <laughs> Well, my I think band wasn't my band wasn't saying good work. The people that interviewed me wasn't saying good work. The, the other Boston bands certainly were saying good work. So I wasn't being necessarily applauded for anything I was doing. So yeah, I think I think the uh, I think the thing is also Ian had to live in it the whole way through. Where oh, every he had show... it way more than I mean, I uh, he, he every day I I like I said <laughs> I probably caused problems for him. <laughs> Well, yeah, like Poison Ideas, sending him super beers in the mail, telling him to drink. Were they it. really? Like, yeah, they were. They were. Really? They were like, well, Jerry A does that. Well, you've seen that. Uh, well, I'm 12 friends and... with him on. I'm friends with him on Facebook. I didn't oh. know that he had that side to him. Well, he he wasn't as he, he like he just I think wanted to fuck with it more than okay a lot of ire. But there's that Ian McKay 12 inch where it's a picture of their asshole. <laughs> it's like with all the flies around it and stuff. Um, I didn't know that. He he. he see, yeah, now I can tell you. Seem you're saying that I could see he seems like uh his um his um album imagery is kind of like a fuck you know fuck with you kind of imagery yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. very much so and I think yeah. 
you know, Ian had to deal with the youth crew thing when that was popping off. Like, you know, and, how, and how, tell me about that. I need to know how did he have to deal with that? How did that go down? I don't well, even I think, know. I missed the youth. Here's the thing. Yeah. I, I'm mad about it because the youth, youth I would have, I would like to see some of the, some of my plants. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, I'm no, joking. no, but it's, but it's no, true. No, like, but I mean, I missed it. I kind of like was right. I was graduating college right around that time. I, you know, I, I used to come in and sneak in to see like bands every once in a while. I wasn't like completely out of it, but I did sell all my equipment. I, I bought a jet ski and, um, but I, I used to, you know, but I mean, no one tipped me off and said, dude, you got to go see use it today. You know, I would have liked that tip, you know, cause I really would have enjoyed it. I used to go to the warp tour and, you know, occasionally, you know, I, I definitely saw, um, um, their second band, the shelter band. I was, I saw a warp tour. The shelter was around that. So, yeah. I mean, I was aware of them by that point, but I wish I saw the initial use crew, but see the other thing when they came through Boston, if they did play Boston, they, the scene had already moved to the rat, you know, they transformed from the pure, you know, the pure kind of thing in many ways to this like thing that I was trying to avoid all these years, you know, I don't know, but I can't comment on it because I wasn't there and I wasn't, uh, I just, uh, at that point I wanted to get away from it. You know, I needed to get away from it because uh, it wasn't what I had kind of planned or thought about, you know, it was kind of drifted away from my vision. Yeah. I wasn't there for it either. And I think it's just my, my perspective comes from, you know, reading what people have said about it and talking to some of these people, but it seems like, yeah, Ian was not, down for it i think he thought it was fine like people are going to yeah. do what they do it's their choice to yes. make this sort of thing but i don't think he felt like it was uh part of his world you know and i i don't mean i don't he said as much to me you know like it felt like it was something completely removed from what he was doing but you know it and then, was and i felt that too i mean like yeah. i i yeah now you confirm what you know <laughs> i used to like re whatever i could feel it you know yeah uh, yeah but uh i didn't want that i i'm gonna put this on the record i wanted him to kind of come to me and say, good work, Al. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how he's always had, like I've had so many people on this podcast where Ian and Ian's approval and just Ian's presence is just such a huge part of people's lives. And it's been like this for for decades now, but like, you know, David Bazan, who's Pedro the Lion, was on the podcast and talked about how there's this sort of Ian, inner Ian Mackay that he has that he has debates about when it comes time to talk about music industry business and all these sorts of things where he has an internalized Ian Mackay like like people would have their internalized Christ that they have these conversations with. Yeah, I don't, I can't say I have to take that take when I said that thing about I wish he pulled me aside only because I, I was caught like, you know, I'm 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 pretty self-aware, you know, at all points, you know, meaning like taking taking inventory of myself too along the way. Okay. So I knew that I was causing problems for him. Okay. Yeah. So all I meant is I kind of wish he said it's okay. You know, cause, but he never said that, you know, like, so I don't know what he, I never really knew what he thought really, you know, I just wish he said it's okay. Hey, you're causing problems for me, kid, but it's okay. But I, you know, as far as approval, you know, I think, he, I think he sets a very high standard. Okay. But uh, early on, I realized I, I'm, I, I couldn't uh, seek his approval, you know? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I, I wouldn't want to go down those roads. Like, you know, everyone says, you know, you know, you know, you know I, I, I think I even said it like, dude, I'm going to I'm not going to stop fucking broads because you said something like that. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's like I didn't like, you know, I don't have that relationship with this guy. You know that like I, I think that what he says, I'm going to follow. You know, I don't follow anyone. Why am I going to stop following him? I didn't I didn't get into straight edge to create another to follow another set of rules. You know what I'm saying? 
not at all. You know, I'm, I'm like, I, I really do consider myself a f- freedom guy, like, you know, literally freedom, but I, I'm a resp- I'm just responsible. Like I realize there's some things you're going to do in life and you just got to suck it up and do it. You know, yeah. it's just because, because we, we live in a society where it's just not you. It's not about you. You're not just the only guy in the world. You know, there's other people around you and, and, this whole planet doesn't work if you don't think like that way. You know, if you just, you know, it's too many people that do think it's just the world is them and the it's just them. It doesn't, it doesn't work, you know? So, um, you know, it's important to be self-aware, but um, I don't even know where I'm going. Well, and now <laughs> straight, well, now straight edge is something even bigger than that. Like you're talking about going on those Instagram stories and, and seeing these kids not have any relationship to the history of the straight edge, but like, you know, CM Punk, the pro wrestler, is probably responsible for more kids hearing about straight edge now than than minor threat is because he's he was on tv to millions of people each week preaching straight edge were you stuff. watching him before you got on here i said i watched him he was match was on i go he's not chimed in he's probably watching this match right now <laughs> no no oh, i haven't oh. watched in a while but uh i definitely okay. have put in my time of being that was you, uh, the worst you like I- know him well no it was the worst interview i've ever done in my life i interviewed him oh. one time for my old tv show and uh it was brutal it was so... let me ask you do you think he's sincere about straight edge definitely 100 percent sincere yeah okay yeah but he's because i wasn't sure because you know i i grew up a, you a wrestling fan a huge wrestling fan okay so i'm a, i grew up a huge wrestling fan okay but i mean uh i go back to like chief j strongbow do you ever uh, see kevin Pedro sullivan Morales. wrestle because kevin have, sullivan's yeah. from boston right yeah he is yeah but he's yeah. like he's like you know you know like kevin kevin sullivan didn't come popular until he went to like um wcw uh, wcw you know yeah. saying he was like a stiff in the, in the wwf you know so i was a big fan you know but and i was one of those guys that you know went along with the thing like uh it's not it's like it might be oh it's not fake it's real you know like i mean there's like semi-realism we had to kind of like create to make it like justifiable that why we liked this bullshit you know and and i was very one of those guys that like you know my father used to take me when I was like, you know, 14. I can't only think what my father was thinking when I'm going to Boston Garden, seeing San Martino and stuff, you know, and Freddie Blassie and stuff. Because, you know, I I got to admit, at this, at this, this point, my, I have a whole different outlook on it. You know, like like I, I, I think the athleticism has gone way beyond what it was when I started. So you certainly can appreciate that. In fact, I marvel at it, you know, and I say, man, these guys are taking because of my back. I say these guys are taking, and plus I follow some of those guys on uh, on uh, YouTube, and I know they've had some tough injuries. The guy that just died, uh, Rudy Ramon, just died, stuff, you know. Yeah, so yeah. they had a tough life, and they take, you know, the bumps they take. I mean, based on my spine, I just say to myself, man, their backs must be fucked up, you know. And I I, I watch, I listen to Steve Austin's podcast and stuff too, so I know they take big bumps, you know. Yeah, no, they definitely. But it's like I, you know, made this documentary series years ago, and one of the people we interviewed was Austin Theory, who's now having a huge run in WWE. Oh, he's got a big, a big push right now. Yeah, and he was big push by Vince, I think, right? Huge push by Vince. Yeah, and he was, he was like, we're talking the first day, and he's like, oh, I'm straight edge, and I'm like, oh, are you hard? You know, hard. Austin Theory. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, he was like, he's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely straight edge. Fuck drugs, and I'm like, oh, do you know punk? You know hardcore? He's like, not at all. Like it was really? completely separate for him. This whole straight edge thing. He's, but a, he's inspired by by CM Punk. CM Punk, yeah, CM Punk. Wow. And, and I think there's like Avril Lavigne also used to claim straight edge very early yeah. on, and, and X up well, too. CM Punk's a messenger. That's a good thing, you know. Like, like because I didn't was I wasn't sure if it was uh, shtick. You know, I'm trying to say the right word. <laughs> shtick. You know, because like 
I mean, that's what I was trying to say, like wrestling, when you, when you, if I watch them right now, you know, so much of it's where, you know, it's like the arm grab and it's like, ah, you know, so when I look at it now, I'm like, the enhancement, you know, the enhancement is just so over the top, you know, it's like, uh, and I guess it was there when I was a kid too. I mean, Chief J was, you know, doing his stuff, but I'm like, the, you know, so it's hard for me to get into it now, but I still monitor it. Uh, I think wrestling can be possibly tied into like uh, what's going on in the world today right now. Absolutely. You know, like the believability of what's real and what's not K-fabe. real. I mean, there yep. is, right? Yeah, the whole concept. Yeah, 100%. Like Trump, Trump, Trump developed this whole character during his WrestleMania run. Like he, he learned how to cut a promo. He yeah. saw what worked. He was shaving Vince McMahon's head, Stone Cold Steve Austin style in the middle of the ring. And, and I, from the people I talked to that were there at that time, like writers and things like that, they talked about how much of a student Trump was and how he just kind of was observing everything. And oh, he's a student. Yeah. He's, very. he's been a, he's been a performer. Like I followed him in the, the New York post in the early eighties when he used to go to New York and stuff. He was a very you know popular New York post and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know what TV shows like Geraldo were there, you know, like those kind of like <laughs> shows that were on the eighties, maybe you'd see him on there. So, you know, but I mean, that kind of guy was always dismissive in this culture, you know, he was never worshiped. He was yes. never, uh, uh, you know, treated like a God, you know? So in many ways, wrestling, maybe in the popular popularity of wrestling, you know, wrestling, wrestling used to be a fringe thing, right. It'd be my father and my dad, you know, and 13,000 at the garden or whatever, you know, but it wasn't like, pro- I don't you know what the numbers are now, but it wasn't like, obviously, right. It's not like this. So, yeah, you know, and that, that, you know, it's entertainment, right? But I mean, people have, you have to believe it in a way, kind of, right? To really believe it. Otherwise, you're going to sit there and laugh. And, oh, look at Roman Reigns, you know, fake that thing or something, you know? Some of those those neck drops where they don't even touch the neck, you know? So I'm saying, you know, like, you have to almost believe it, you know? Like, just same as Trump, you have to believe him. I think we're in that kind of part of, uh, you know, we're in that kind of part of... Uh, human development human evolution now because of media and uh you know these guys i mean i follow right-wing media a lot i i I don't say track it but i watch it a lot okay and you have to have a real good uh you have to real you have to have real good like you know rejection you could get sucked i can't get sucked in it but i could definitely see how the people could get pulled right into it you know i listened to steve ban he's very good at uh He's very good at manipulating people's minds and planting seeds. Talk about planting seeds. Mm-hmm. Fucking Steve Bannon's planting seeds every day, you know, seeds mm-hmm. of doubt, seeds of, uh, you know, right now he's planting seeds that, you know, I'm sure, and I'm sure they are, uh, you know, right now the seeds he's planting is that uh, Ukraine's the most corrupt nation in the world. And I'm sure they're pretty corrupt. Usually those Baltic countries, there's a lot of corruption, but they're trying, they're trying to be democratic. They're trying, Russia's not trying to do anything. Russia's, you know, that's the, the big flip in this whole thing, right? Right wing isn't about freedom. It's never been about freedom. Right wing is about oppression. So the fact that these people are hooked up with Trump and screaming about freedoms for van- mandates and all this other stuff, it's so bullshit because the first thing Trump would do is take away the press, take away the free press, take away all their rights. And these idiots can't even figure that out. It's like history says who they are. You know, history doesn't say you know, history says exactly who everyone is. We know who they are, but yet they don't believe it, you know? So it's almost like it's it's perfectly time for like kind of the fall of religion is the rise of these sort of people that fill the void that religion would have filled in a lot of people's lives in some cases, like these sermons that are weekly podcasts now or YouTube shows and these, you know, they're they're promising you something, they're they're 
offering you MAGA is a religion. MAGA is a yeah. religion. You know? Yeah. Yeah. A no doubt it's a religion. A terrifying religion. It's a terrifying religion. <laughs> You're right. Biggest threat to democracy. Uh, you know, uh, Democratic Republic, no doubt in my mind, you know, and, uh, you know, and people, you know, like I, I know there's another stuff, like I pound Trump constantly 24 seven. Right. And my wife's like, what man, people, you know, and I know that I wear people out, you know, people don't like to, you know, but that's the way I was with straight edge. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, I'm a, you know, and I, I never, you know, we're uh, coming out with these records on, uh, we're releasing the records on trust records. So some, you know, we've got some quotes coming out and some people say, you know, militaristic. And I, and I just heard this as a quote and I'm like, man, I get that tag a lot, but I get it. You know what I'm saying? I get the tag, but I don't think it really represents me, but you know, I am, I'd say it's more like uh, undeterred or something, you know, like, like, you know, like I'm not going to just stop, you know, I'm just going to back down. I'm going to keep on going, persevere, but I'm militaristic. I don't know. I, I hope I'm not, you know, I hope I'm not, <laughs> I hope I'm not shooting people and killing people when they don't agree with me. You know what I'm saying? When I hear militaristic, that's what I think. So, you know, I don't know. Well, then that, I think that's because that's where straight edge kind of went for a minute, or at least that's the perception of where straight, no, straight edge did go there. Hard line straight edge was definitely pretty fucking crazy. Some of the shit people were getting up to, um, like, I mean, the actual movement that was called hardline um, within hardcore. And, but I think, you know, what you were doing was offering people, like we we're saying, like an escape hatch, like another, another way. And that's the thing, like straight edge now is just so many different things to so many different people. Yeah, it's it. I I know that straight has gone through so many uh, transitions. The Earth crisis, uh, you know, I see their reference to quite a bit. You know, so it's it's taken different a lot of different incarnations. You know, I don't even know. Maybe maybe it's a right wing straight edge movement. I don't know, but uh, you know, I'm I'm happy that there's a choice. You know, that's what I want to I want to I want kids to have a choice. Really, you know, uh, to me, this what's you know, I got to this thing. To me, you know, the kids will say it's about killed. You know, that that title is about kids telling kids. That's what it's supposed to mean. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, we want to be heard. We'll just, you know, we don't. It's like, any, you know, I'm, you know, extremely frustrated that, you know, um, growing up that I don't think people really uh, like even right now, you know, everything going on. Who's even thinking about the kids, really? You know, I mean, thinking about the babies because it's political, right? Babies. But how about the kids? You know, no one cares about a. 16 year old kid is in trouble or something you know they care about these babies you know yeah. so i don't know it's uh it, well that's the thing about that record is is it was uh you know in that in that kind of moment in hardcore when hardcore comes in like you're saying like you didn't have to go to a club you could rent a pa and set up a, your own hall like kids could have their say you know like i was 16 years old and we were putting on our sh own shows and spaces and like you know, that's, that's the other thing, like, you know, forget about straight edge and where that went. That but still goes on today. I, I still see a lot of on. that, which is great, you know? Yeah. And that's yeah, the thing. That's, that's the good thing about the, 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 I think, you know, you think about it, like really hardcore. Well, I mean, there's not too many other kind of forms of music that's really doing that. Right. We're just doing their own shows. I don't think. Right. No. And it, it's really like, it's like the, the first, you know, scene that I know of, like maybe there are other scenes, you know, and in, in around the world or something, but yep. where you have like, you know the kids just giving each other numbers You're like here call this person to get a show and just like you build your own network and what kids say is important and what you know young people do is important and like there's no like you're saying with ssd like the motivation isn't to become a rock star the motivation is just to do it just get out there and do it and then you know do the best you can at you know like you know my, my attitude with the band was just you know treat every record with a separate record and try to do your best you can 
that's all we did. You know, we'd really, really, uh, you know, try to like, even as if you look, you know, people say, you know, if you listen to the record, the record, record, you know, the band, we started off, you know, wasn't many bands around us and bands started playing a lot faster than us. And I, quite frankly, I didn't think we played that great fast. You know, like I felt that we were more a powerful band, you know, a little bit slower. So we kicked it back a little bit, you know, and tried to find our groove. I call it the power groove, you know, we mm-hmm. tried to find what we did. And now if you look at the evolution of hardcore now, it's even more different. You know, it's got, uh, it's taken so many different directions, but that's good. You know, uh, you know, we started out, you know, like I said, I think the, you know, the Ramones were a, kind of a, a trans, uh, you know, they transcended towards our generation, the Black Flag, and then and every every subsequent hardcore scene or mix or whatever has their own little stamp on it, which is great. You know, I, I personally uh, am surprised. You know, the one thing when we were going, I, I grew up, like I told you, Van Halen, ACD. I, you know, I don't think, I don't know, I saw Judas Priest and man like that, but the term heavy metal wasn't, uh, it's just starting the head banging thing, you know, around that early 80 thing or something. But I was surprised that, you know, how hardcore and metal have, has gotten very close, you know, metalcore, hardcore and stuff. Because back when I started, you know, the, the metal scenes weren't very uh, appreciative or, you know, respectful of our scene. It's very separate, you know. So I guess that's good, you know, but it's it's interesting. I didn't see that coming necessarily because I thought the rock, you know, the, the metal bands would, wouldn't have any crossovers or whatever, but. Well, there's that whole period, I guess, in the late 80s where crossover happens in DRI. And and actually, it's weird. I was reading in America's Hardcore Today, yep. the Stephen Blush book, that DYS was almost signed to Elektra at one point. Maybe. I don't know. That's so <laughs> weird. Know. Like, I guess they yeah. would have been a crossover band at that point if they had gotten signed. And, and that was apparently what led to the breakup. But it, it it's this weird... Uh, it's this weird thing that kind of happens in the late 80s where you're right. The scenes do kind of converge a lot more. And now today, they're like... <laughs> practically built on top of each other right right and like i i know i mean i don't know i think you're i know your band still tours or anything like that so i'm not aware of all the, i mean i've watched the videos of the bands and see things but i you know i mean i used to reference max rock and roll to get my information and stuff yep. like that so i don't really i'm not as uh you know aware as i should be of all this of all you know probably like because of my age and it makes sense <laughs> you know that i'm not aware but but I, you know, I, I follow it. I watch it. And I see. You know, I like to see the evolution. I'm surprised. Maybe the the metallic evolution. You know, as those. I think they've converged almost in a way. You know, like uh, metal and hardcore. You know, like I mean, uh, which is good. Well, you even go back to like Motorhead. Like Lemmy would always prefer to be called a punk than a, a metal band. You know, like they they. You know, it goes back. And also, like you know, new wave of British heavy metal really gets kicked off when punk starts kicking off you know right, and, right, right, right. and it really kind of i guess provides the infrastructure for it well i mean you can tell like i think all those like the you know the a lot of the guns and roses bands and seattle bands were all in you know punk uh so i mean yeah it, like i said everything builds on each other you know i mean i think i think you know those guns and rose records were based on them growing up on punk rock you know and stuff so every maybe metallica i don't know uh yeah but it definitely uh i mean i know that you know, we've had a lot of people uh, cite us as maybe people having the record, you know, back then. Well, it's funny because, like, I was listening to, I'm one of the people that provided a quote for the Get It Away reissue. And I was you did? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and I was, I was listening to it. Uh, you said militaristic, probably, right? No, no, believe me, no. I, <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely. Actually, I got to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> but I did talk about how it, it is, it's the ferociousness of it. And, like, I listen to Get It Away 
you know, like I guess 25 times in a row that day, just coming up with a yep. quote and like, it, you hear that in grind, you hear that in death metal and thrash metal, like that kind of attack that, and just kind of like, let me ask you, do you think it sounded like anyone else when you would say, when you no, heard that, like, the, no, I, like I feel it's a complete break. Like, I feel like yeah. minor threat was still continuing in a punk you know, obviously they were breaking from it, doing this hardcore thing, right. but it's still like, it comes out of punk, you know, and Black Flag certainly comes out of punk, you know, with what they're doing. Yeah. And even the Bad Brains a little bit too, like comes out of, but I think SSD is like the first time that it's something that's like completely alien, like a completely new thing that is just like melody, virtuosity, all these sort of things that are like so lack of melody right well but that's the thing it's like but it's like yeah. it but that's the thing that i loved about it like and that's the thing that i, yeah. I have a lack of melody you know i don't need the melody <laughs> <laughs> you know like that's what i fell in love with was that that idea that it's just power you know like and, and obviously that's the name of the double lp but like yeah. that's the thing when i heard it when i heard those songs i'm just like oh it's just pure power and that's what's mm. being put forward in this band um yeah like i mean i think that record's uh you know a good uh you know, a good, maybe a peak. I think I said that before because, but you know, at the time, it's hard to, you know, we we had just uh, added Francois to the band right when that record was kind of being made. And, you know, it was kind of a transitional phase, how to work him into the writing and stuff. And uh, once again, I try to tell people, it wasn't like that record was being lauded, you know, like we weren't getting, like we weren't, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. like no one was telling me, Hey, you're you're onto something here, <laughs> you know. So I wasn't getting the feedback that I needed, you know, to know. I mean, it felt. I mean, you're gonna be wrong. When we play live. It always felt right, you know. It always felt good, but, uh, you know, like the fans were. We had dedicated fans. Don't be wrong, but I'm just. And so I'm not saying that anyway. There was tons of people. You know, you could see people showing up on shows, but it wasn't like uh, wasn't like any people that were trying to. Was it, you know, just, it just felt uh, we weren't uh, getting a lot of uh, positive feedback. <laughs> well, and I, and I, and I feel, uh, you know, and I, I think it's funny too, because it, it's, it's obvious how influential it was at the time, but you can never really appreciate that when you're living in it. You know, like I feel even in my experience with it, like you, you, you never realize what's happening while you're living in it. It's only years later when you look back upon it, you're like, oh, geez, that was that went places and honestly it is the truth i felt it felt so different i felt i had to tweak the formula a little bit <laughs> you know like like the songs did you know the songs like i felt his is basically what is it i chased i chased trying to figure out you know you're a vocalist you know i wrote guitars okay i'm not a vocalist i don't sing so i didn't i wrote lyrics but i didn't say springer here here's how i want to sing it you know like most normal songwriters would write you know i'd say hey springer here's how i want to sing it well i just hand him the lyrics and he you know, this is how most hardcore bands do it, right? And he just had to fit those lyrics into what I played, right? Yes. Well, that's not the way to do it, really. You know, when you really come down, that's not really... so. So that was my formula. I'm like, I got to improve upon this somewhere. And I said, I thought I really uh, felt the singing had a that that part of the singing had to improve a part. You know, like how we how we uh, how we uh, mold the uh, vocals to you know vocals and lyrics to music, and that's kind of where we went after that. You know, uh, if I'd known that. Uh, I should have kept that disassociation. That same disassociation was a better thing. I would have kept on doing it, but I really thought uh, that people weren't digging it. You know, <laughs> did um, did uh, like you know? I mean, it's a sense that yeah, that you know, people weren't wasn't gonna like people weren't gonna 
I wasn't sure if people were gonna if that was music they would listen to over and over. That that's what I say. You know what I'm saying? Like like I'm not saying we weren't a good live band, but I wasn't quite sure if you know Get It Away was gonna be a record that was like you know you know played a lot. I wasn't sure. You know. <laughs> Uh, well, once again, like here we are all these years later talking about it. And it's a it's a record that people will spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars to get. Kids will either say I traded my entire CD collection away to get it when I was uh, a younger person, you know, like, really? it, yeah, like it was a these are these are artifacts that are, are yeah, very did you make any did you save it or did you make money on it oh i saved it i still have it oh my oh, you god you still have it oh, oh never i'm never getting rid of that uh like you know yeah. i think the exclaim catalog you know it's funny my friend uh my friend and i were talking about it the other day because he finally completed his exclaim catalog and he was just talking wow. about how amazing it is to look at them all but it's it's such an incredible run why is it only 12 inches did you have an aversion to seven inches you know, that's a good, I mean, I, I have thought about that briefly, but I mean, I guess I must have had an aversion to it or something because I didn't pursue it. You know, I don't know why, because, you know, very tight with Ian around that time. Ian might even been giving me, uh, no, he wasn't giving me record plants, definitely. I had, I had no, I knew the record plants we were going to. We had a connection. My producer, like, knew the record plants we were going to go to. But, I, you know, definitely, they picked us up. I don't know. I really don't know that answer, but I, I got it. You are right. I think it was, uh, um, I think it was the cover probably, you know, like I do think there's an attachment that I have to that cover art that I don't think I ever got with the seven, the seven inch. And I was like, always like a shitty cover on the seven inch. And that even, you know, carried over to CDs. It even got worse when the CDs came, you know, I really liked the 12 inch cover art, you know? Well, and they all look amazing, you know? That, because, that you know, let's face it, our records aren't even full. Maybe you could interpret them not as full length albums, you know? So you yeah. could say, I don't even know if it could have fit them on you know, seven, whatever you could fit on there, whatever. But I'm just saying, I really think the cover art uh, was what kind of did it for me. No, and they all, then they still look all spectacular to this day. Uh, you mentioned bands when they started playing faster. what do you think of Deep Wound when Deep Wound showed up? Well, all those bands were, were playing real. I, I mean, I, I, I can't remember back. I definitely remember Deep Wound because yeah. we played with us, you know, but I, I, without remembering these details, I'd say that, uh, probably most of those bands who could play very fast were kind of intimidating to me because I don't think we could play that well that fast. So, you know, I, I, I remember consciously the biggest thought I remember seeing like, you know, Jerry's kids play and thinking, man, gangrene, gangrene probably more than Jerry's kids thinking like, wow, these guys play so fast. You know, like, I don't think I could, I, you know, when I played fast, I felt like we were like not in sync, you know? And I think part of the, uh thing that makes me really enjoy playing music is when you're all together and you know that power chord is hitting and stuff like that so you know you know to be you know like racing like that you know so you know immediately at that point you know we record that record you know there wasn't like so many fast bands i mean we might have been one of the fastest when that record came out you know yeah. uh and yeah really i'm not just joking we probably were like in the top 10 fast bands when that came out and Absolutely. then when all the other bands came out, I was like, nah, we're not going to be able to play fast anymore. <laughs> I was, I was, you said that D, definitely, I remember DRI and yeah. uh, thinking, you know, I think that was the one that really cemented. I was like, ah, oh, we're going to we're gonna have to find a, we're gonna have to find a new groove here because it's not going to be this thing, you know? Well, it's funny because, like, you talked about how that early Boston, you know, what you described as sort of that art punk stuff that was happening earlier. It's almost like the speed that you guys set starts a new Boston sound that carries like sieges from boston like there's so many hyper fast hardcore yeah. bands uh even today like you know boston strangler in more recent years like 
there is a Boston hardcore sound that's birthed with those records. Oh, then speed. You think speed? You think? I think speed. I think speed is a part of it, but like it's also controlled speed. Like it's not like you know just spastic, grindy type stuff. It's like because I thought the interesting thing was when the speed turned into thrash. The band, you know, the term thrash came out, uh, and the metal bands were playing thrash or whatever. You know, so you know, speed actually hit the metal world too. I'm sure it's probably metal guys. Me, the Scorpions are probably saying the same thing. Was, Man, we're not playing fast enough. <laughs> I, I don't know. But I'm sure that's the hardcore influence, you know, and people like Metallica and people like Slayer, like they were definitely aware of all this stuff, like, you know, and certainly fans in some cases. Well, I think, for, you know, in their scene, it certainly was a differenti differentiator, you know, for them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, versus like all the bands of that time, you know, like, a, you know, to have a speed metal, was different you know so they were paving their own thing like to separate themselves from the you know because they were most part those bands were all indie metal bands starting out right so how's an indie metal band you know they can't be making like the uh uh you can't be making the twisted sister record probably right i mean it's not they're not gonna stand out because so they were making this something different you know and i mean like most people i remember hearing that first metallica record even the, the indie record you know not thinking it had that commercial potential but you know, I think I actually think that, you know, they, I think there's a radio station that could have been playing. I listen to that Maki Ramon station. I think that could have been a rate, an FM channel back then. And, you know, I think, you know, to develop an audience, you got to you got to kind of spoon feed them and nurture them and grow, you know. And, you know, the the business people didn't want to do that. You know, that's mm -hmm. the way I look at it. I mean, because I think I bet all those record people, in my opinion, probably think that they could have made any music. Uh, popular they just decided that it was going to be this one this time i mean they, they, you know their job is to sell records you know so they're going to find someone who probably causes the most least uh disruption least uh cost that they can sell the most records with you know it's, a, it's a, the same thing as selling pills you know you know, try to sell the most you can sell and you understand you, you can respect that understand it and i you know they probably don't give a shit about the music you know i'm sure there's many people in that thing that could care less about the music or who it is and what it is you know, it could switch to from, you know, punk to rock to whatever. As long as it sells, that's all I care, you know? Same guy as a pill salesman, right? He doesn't care if it's opiates or marijuana or whatever. It's Selling a product. Pills. Yeah, it's a just, product, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, but it's funny how many records came out the same year as Get It Away that no one remembers that were on major labels and had huge campaigns and maybe even huge hits. But they just, there's no staying power for it. Like, you know, we certainly, you know, there's, there's just I know because I go through record stores all the time and I'm flipping by these dollar bin records and it's amazing how much of this stuff was put out. Oh, you're just, saying you see a lot of 80, 82, 83 vintage, just like shitty new there. wave stuff and like yeah, yeah, yeah. cash well, grabby. See, they, you know, right? They were they were they were definitely trying to get those bands. Maybe there was some yeah. late to the party, right? The you know the cars blondie that whole thing when that was kind of pushing. Yeah, you know. and you know I remember I think Black Flag you know, it got like some interest for some label. Uh, I think we actually have, I found going through all my files, we had a, we have a letter and I don't even know how this letter came in my possession from uh, that guy, Michael Alago, a rejection letter from Electra from him. To us. What? That's amazing. Yeah. What's amazing is that I didn't know who this guy was until, you know, Drew Stone did this doc and everything. And now I'm putting it all together and I go through my stuff and I see this letter because our producer died in the last year or something. So I, you know, he, he, his name is on the letter, like Lago sent the, to him. And I asked, him, I go, Mike Bastrash, his name was like, Oh, do you remember this letter? You know, <laughs> we got rejected. I go, and, and, you know, I laugh at it. Cause I mean, I'm, 
you know, I don't think we we're going to sell records. You know what I'm saying? You know, so like, I mean, it's not, it's a no brainer. I don't know. Like, I, you know, I could see some records uh, being more popular and selling. I don't think we we're going to sell records. You know, I think Mr. B, uh, you know, who produced your records and everything yeah. like that, like uh, what a, uh, what a genius for a lot of the stuff that he was involved in. Like obviously your records, but like just so many incredible stuff that probably you don't like too, that I love from Boston. Well, he, uh, yeah. Do you know his stuff before? Uh, like he was, did this band native tongue. Do you ever hear that band? I do. I do know native tongue. Absolutely. Oh, like, really? I, I've yeah. got, I'm like a, a big modern, uh, modern was method. Yeah. Modern method yeah, yeah. record yeah, really? collector. Yeah. I've got like all those That's comps and, and outlets. They, you know, they, that label's really, uh, and they really never really got their shit together. <laughs> you know, they, no, they didn't though, because I think they always were looking for you know to get a good you know big record. They never really got that big record, to my knowledge, you know. Yeah. And in fact, that's how they entered the picture on the on the Boston Not LA. You know, they'd wanted us to do, and I'm like, uh, you know, I said to them, I like, why the fuck do I need these guys? You know, I don't want these fucking guys. You know, now I, I became friends with them later on after that, but at the beginning, you know, my my god my god went up, and I'm like. You know, my suspicion, God, what the fuck are these guys doing? Wilson, they want to, you know, you know, that's the way I think, you know, was probably it was true. Was it kind of a separate scene with those Boston, not LA bands? Like, I know there's some crossover, obviously. Between... No, no, really, really was. I mean, I think, I think for them to get, you know, for them to fill that record out because we didn't want to do it, they had to reach a little deep, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, like, I can't, I don't even know the record. I don't know all the bands, but I mean, Gang Green's on that record, right? Yeah. They, Jerry's they kids, were, a few. Yeah, they were, they, they were not seen. Those bands were not seen. My, you know, they play with me. Yeah. So it's just, I said, no, I'm not doing it. And they said they were going to do it, you know? So, but that's fine. I, I didn't have a problem with that. I just didn't want to do it. I saw no point in reason giving it to them. You know, I didn't understand why they were, what, you know, like ultimately when you give your record away, first question you'd ask is, well, what are they going to do for you that I can't do? Well, what are they going to do for you that Tang can't do? You know, in the end, honestly, uh, you know, I think there's as much bad people in independent records as in major records. You know, there's people that don't know what they're doing in both of them. So, like, but you are when you sign with a label, you're you're signing with that. You know, you're you're signing them to make to manage a product, right? Mm -hmm. To promote it and manage it and fiscally not be stupid or whatever. And uh, you know, there's many independents that I'm not sure are uh, equipped to do that. I think. Did I see that you're on Matador? Are you on Matador? We were. We're okay, now so on you merch. Know Gerard Cosley, right? Yeah, I was going to ask you because Gerard brought it up the time. Uh, I was going to see if you remember meeting him for the first time because he was when he was on the podcast twice. He brought. Oh, I didn't know. I, I met him. I mean, I met him in Boston, but I don't was like. Why does he remember some fucking bad thought of them? No, no. He said the first oh. time he remembers seeing you at a show, or like it was when he was first yeah. going. It was like the sound check for Black Flag, when Black. Oh, I don't Flag, know. And he was like, he talked to you at that show. Um, oh, there. I just remember. Day. I remember. Um, I remember, you know, he, interestingly enough, he he was, you know, when this re-release thing, he was actually the one of the first guys to really kind of get it cooking. You know, he uh, called me up in, uh, you know, some out of the blue, it was like maybe 2012 or something. He said, hey, you know, I released the record on Matador. Now, the industry had gone through a little slowdown at that time. So I was trying to, once again, I my antennas had to go up, like, what the, why does Gerard want our record on Matador? It didn't seem like a fit, you know, to me uh, at that time. I don't, maybe I'm, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was being premature, but we, we discussed it through and walked, you know, but in the end, I didn't feel, I didn't answer that question. You know, maybe I was, maybe I'm wrong. You know, you, you could tell me maybe more than I know. I was like, you know, I'm not sure it's a fit. I'm not sure what he's going to do for us, which leads me to, you know, to the, you know, given the trust records, 
when I heard about the trust thing, I think I heard from uh, Keith from Circle Jerks, maybe right around the pandemic, right pre-pandemic, told me about what Trust was doing, put me in touch with Joe Nelson, went through it. Sounded like a real good fit. I just had to get to the point where uh, where I believed that they were going to do that job that I, you know, that thing I just said, you know, what are they going to do for me, you know? And so it took a few years of talking with them, you know, to see what he can do that other people can't do. Because we, you know, we've had many offers along the way. People wanted to put that record out. Someone's probably bootlegging it right now as I speak, you know, knowing that's coming out. <laughs> you know, so uh, including maybe the uh, Youth of Today guys. Well, I was going to ask um, you about that. That's the rumor, right? Oh, well, <laughs> well, yeah, the rumor. And I put it on them. And I'm going to tell you, and I'll put this out. I don't know if I did this before. I'm going to put it out again to see if they listen to this. But, you know, like, I'm kind of disappointed because I do believe they had something to do with it. I do believe they know who did it. Either You know, they both say, when I put it on uh, Purcell, I put it on the other one, they both they both claim they didn't do it. And I think they're just kind of saying, like, oh, I didn't do it, but I know Ray did it. Or, I know Jordan did it. You know, that's, I think, the game they're playing. Maybe not. And I wish they just came to me and said, look, we were young. We really liked your band. We wanted this record in print. We did it. We fucked up. And we're sorry. I would that would mean more to me than I think they're lying, okay, honestly. Mm. So you know, I take that with a grain of salt, but you know, I, I think they're lying because I do think they I think they know who did it. Maybe it was Jordan from Brev, which is funny because I, I I after after Gerard said it, I said, Hey, let's let's go full circle this whole thing. So I called up I said, Look, Jordan, you want to put the record out? You know, I was like, it's kind of like trying to say, motherfucker, you probably should put it out because you booted it already, you know. <laughs> I mean, he might, he might not have got it. I think he got what I was coming from, but that was the whole message to him. I was like, you know, I didn't say it, but I was like, Hey, you want to put it out? But I'm like, you know, I think I talked to bootleg a little bit, but that was the whole thing. The message was, Hey, you might as well put it out because you bootlegged it once, but he didn't really, he wasn't as love. He wasn't in love with it as I thought he was (laughs) because he didn't really make me an offer. And then, you know, a couple other small labels on the way. And, you know, even after we stopped, you're a vinyl guy too. So I know you're into the collecting thing, you know, um, even, you know, those records came out, 82, 83, you know, right along the way, you know, people was always wanting them. So, you know, the the demand was always there. I could have repressed, you know, all along. I just didn't, once again, it goes to my forward thinking attitude. I was like, why am I going to waste any time or energy or finances in a way, maybe like Ian did, because I know he, ta- I saw something where he talked about putting all their finances into the current record and, you know, they had to kind of work that whole thing, you know? like whether to repress records or put new records out, you know, I was a sole shop, you know, like my, my business model was like on the gangrene thing. I, you know, I think Jerry's kids and nephews, I told those guys, dude, you put the record out, you can use the label if you want, you know, to help you uh, get distributed and stuff. Cause you know, that was kind of my deal with Ian was to help me establish it. I asked him, Hey, can I put on half discord? He said, yes. It was just kind of like, you know, an endorsement, almost like a stamp of approval. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause Mm -hmm. If you see that, so it was to get me going. And I and I offered the same thing to them, but I didn't want to get involved in uh you know recording them. Cause I mean I fucked you honestly, I hated recording my own band. I wasn't gonna fucking put myself through with them. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. easy. What the studio thing wasn't easy, and was what I was gonna go with before is that I learned to love the studio, okay? Because I hated it around 83 and 82, 83, 84, 85. But I started Gage in uh, 93, which was my next band. Mm-hmm. Only, only been in two bands. And I built, that band was built around a studio out. Like, it wasn't built around members. It was built around a studio and then bringing members in, you know, a team. So it was like this, the physical equipment was part of the team almost in a way. So 
I learned, took, I embraced compressors and, you know, uh, you know, outboard gear and tube gear. And I, I really, you know, maybe the lessons that I didn't learn in 82 and 83, I learned in 92 and 93, 94. So I produced three gauge records and, you know, engineered and mic, uh, engineered and produced them. I used to bring in some people to help mix them because I thought, you know, when you sit with it, when you, when you make a record like that, I used to make, the, we built these records from the song. Like I'm talking, we built these records from the beat, you know, <laughs> these records. So by the time you get to mix, man, I've, I've heard it way too many times. So I thought I was thought it was fresh to bring in a, a fresh set of ears, you know? Yeah. And multiple mix. I, I believe in that, you know, but. So, you know, cause you mentioned like not wanting to reissue the records prior yeah. to, to this yeah. reissue thing. What led to power coming out and why would, did you decide so, to do power? Well, Cause, uh, you know, my, I, I'll be upfront. My relationship with Chris was like, quote, a friend initially. Right. And, uh, he'd start, you know, was putting this tank, and tang. I think he maybe released, I don't know his whole history. I think he released a couple singles for us. This is around 91. We're talking, we're talking at this club to call a channel. I noticed that records were disappearing from the shelves. I went to like a couple stores. I noticed there was no records on the shelves anymore. This thing called the compact disc was hitting, hitting the, hitting the world. And I wasn't really up to speed on it, you know? So uh, I used to hear people at work talking about a compact disc, like audio files. And I wasn't really paying attention to them. I kind of already shifted. In fact, I, I stopped. I was a huge fan of music up till around 81 when I started the band because this is another thing you probably won't understand because you know you'd say oh shit he's a huge man of fan i felt like to be in the band i had to stop listening to music because it, it fucks with my head too much you know i get that. I, I wasn't gonna like you know what i'm saying was, yeah. and, but a lot of people don't make that sacrifice i think a lot of people use other music for inspiration quite frankly and i didn't want to use it for i didn't want i want i wanted to see if i could make something as uh you know as pure as possible you know of course it's hard to be completely pure it's not but i'm saying if you listen to like fucking the black flag record all day how can you pick up a guitar and not feel black flag you know what i'm saying so so and unfortunately my love of music kind of ended somewhat or tempered back i mean i wasn't didn't have that same and of course the big format was gone at that point you know i love this the vinyl you know and now we shifted to cds i i tried it i didn't really like it you know i like the digital part i'm a big digital guy i'm not i'm not an audio file analog head believes in the tube saturation all that bullshit yeah. i don't have a problem with digital i like the convenience i just don't like the format being small if they'd made a big large disc with large i think i would have uh i would have liked it i think maybe i don't know well they tried with those and long like, boxes at first oh those long boxes the stupidest fucking thing in the world <laughs> you know and i i, I go back and I, I like you know i like the music business because i like to study who was thinking what they were thinking and you know some guy must have thought we have these bins, right? We have these fucking record bins. We're going to reuse these by putting these long things up, right? That's the only reason you did it because of the shelving. It had to be. Think about it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they had the, the shelving was in place. They didn't want people to have to go buy new shelves and everything like that. They, they came up, you know, that there's no reason they had to be that long. I'm trying to say, right. Yeah. The, the whole thing was to be long to probably because there's probably some shelving that needed that length because 12 inches, you know, I think also this to make it theory. and make it harder to steal too. You know, like true. You could put that digital thing in there. <laughs> yeah, you and stuff. slide but, in your you know, pocket. I mean, were they, were they ever just gonna? You know, at the beginning, they probably was in such shock trying to figure out could they just put this little thing by itself? You know, and trust people and everything. The whole thing, <laughs> who knows? But I do think, you know, it was a mistake because from a, you know, from, 
they missed that whole thing about kids going on the on the thing and looking at the covers and buying records. You know, they they totally missed that part of it. You know, yeah, My no, they 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 totally. Uh, it it just it just changed the way people appreciate music. Like you're saying, it's it's weirdly much more of a commodity. They have a way cheaper price point too, so they can make way more money on these CDs than they do on a piece of vinyl. Well, I don't know the economics back then. I remember my, back when I started, the cover talk cost me 23 cents. The vinyl cost 63 cents. So I could make that record for a buck. So those get it away and kids would say, I'm talking, take out the fixed cost, the studio cost, just the mechanical cost of making the record was about a buck a record, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the CDs were, because I, now, for us, more than like 92, I want to say the CDs would cost me like three bucks, maybe, you know, to make the covers in the jewel case. It's about three bucks, I want to say. So, you know, I don't, I never really did a comparison of what, you know, the economics were. In, uh, I don't think, I don't think vinyl is expensive, right? It really. It got really expensive by the time. Well, it got expensive because there's no more plants left. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think the CDs also got cheaper. And I imagine the major labels were uh, getting a price break on those $3 CDs back then too. You oh, know? I mean, I'm only talking, I'm printing like a couple of thousand, whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm talking, yeah. when you like, yeah, you could stamp those things out like crazy. What did you think the first time you saw Chris Novoselic wearing the SSD shirt from Nirvana? Very flattered by it, yeah. Was that like a weird thing? Like, were you aware of how, uh, were you aware at the time of how much of a cult was kind of building around these I was records? aware of it. I was aware of it because, uh, <laughs> One thing I'll give Curtis a tang, you know, his props that he, he did get the shirts out to people, you know, because uh, we made those. The Chris Nova Celtic shirt is a is a got silver. It's like a silver tint. I believe uh, my first silver tint shirt was given to him. I told I told him he could make when we put that record came out power because it had a silver aspect to it. I said, I'm going to give you I gave him permissions in the deal. He could make 25 T-shirts of uh, that shirt in silver. That was the deal. He was not to pay and make another shirt over twenty five. Of course, he's probably made fucking two twenty five thousand. I'm, like, no, I'm not that much. Now he's probably he's probably made a couple hundred, I guess. You know? Yeah. But his deal was never supposed to do that. It was just a very short, discreet deal. But uh, and I think he got it, he probably got it in the hand of uh, them and a few other people. I'll give him credit for. So yeah. But that's Curtis. If you know Curtis, that's that's his big thing. Schmoozing with some people backstage. So that 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 kind of like worked right in his thing you know he probably schmoozed back at that nirvana show and gave him the t-shirt i don't know i i never really you know i do have a lot of uh you know the guy jeff i met for pearl jam is a huge fan i think you know i talked to him so i know he's a huge fan i never talked to chris neville Selk, so i don't know have you talked to him i mean i don't know i've how, never, I've never met know, him i don't no. know if he just wore the shirt because he was i don't know like how deep it goes with him well, Dave's but, a fan. Dave Grohl's a fan. I know that. Dave Grohl from, is. Yeah, oh, when I don't, we toured, I've never heard him. Yeah. When we toured with him, we were talking about SSD. Like, yeah. You know, and to bring it back to wrestling, Robbie Brookside, who's now the head trainer at NXT, is a huge SSD fan. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And he, I don't know and any of this. He's from <laughs> he a time. He in... to reach out to me. <laughs> well, because no, I mean, I did. I did find out about the um, bass player in in Soundgarden, Ben. Uh, ben. Cameron? Is it Cameron? No, Ben. Can't his name. Ben. I'll, I'll fix that in the intro. Yeah, I'll put. Yeah, I'll put okay, it with, yeah. Think yeah. Ben. I should know Ben. 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 Anyways, can't remember. Anyways, I found out. You know, and they opened for Guns and Roses. I remember they walked into the audience, and I said, "Hey, you guys in Tennessee?" Because I'd heard through the grapevine. Song God. Imagine this. We're in like a big, you know, uh, you know, twelve thousand seater. They're the opening band for Guns and Roses. Well, they walk out through the crowd after their set. No one else in the crowd recognized who they were. 
I, you know, my wife knew who they were and I uh, recognized who we were. And uh, I said, you know, hey, you guys. And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that was my intro to Ben. And, you know, the other guys were there too with him. You know, I do find out, you know, I find out some people that I don't know. Like, uh, I think, um, I think um, uh, a lot of bass players. Uh, uh, well, Jay Maskis, obviously from Deep Wound and Dinosaur Jr., he and I have covered glue together. So there's. Yeah, you know, that's another thing. I don't, I, I know about all those guys, but I never really, just recently I, 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 I uh, found out. Like I'll be honest with you, a lot of times I don't know if people hate me uh, growing up, you know. <laughs> so I don't even know, you know. I, I, you know, I'm not really sure. So like, you know, later on I find out they like the band. A lot of times I'm not sure if they like the band. I like me, you know. I take it like a, a same kind of thing, you know. So I, I mean, it's I like that part because I, you know. Well, it's, well, and I think I think that's the thing is because I I think a lot of people just didn't know what your relationship to the band and the band's legacy was because you know me? you. Well, yeah, because you had you had obviously another career and oh, stuff. Yeah. So it wasn't like you were kind of like hanging around being like, hey, look at me. Remember me from SSD, you know? Well, so I mean, I don't want to be a hanging around guy. I didn't I never wanted to go to the, you know, go out to, you know, I, I try to, you know, see shows if I can, you know, but I didn't want I never wanted to be identified as the guy in the back who used to play in SSD kind of hanging around, you know, mm. uh, I didn't want to be identified as that guy. And I. uh you know, I purposely needed a break from it. You know, it wasn't like I needed a break from music. I love music. You know, like I just needed a break from, uh, you know, it's tough being a, you know, you don't tell me being a band, you get a bunch of different guys. And certainly my, my, my relationship, my singer has been well-documented. So it wasn't easy, you know, it was hard, hard to keep it together, hard to keep everyone on the same page. And, uh, you know, I did the best I could to keep it going as long. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of people think. I mean, I know, I know that whole thing. I'm sure there's a lot of people think that I, uh, I went away. But I, I never went away anywhere. I was always here. You know, like I'm mm -hmm. the same guy, and I still kept like when Fugazi came around. I, I, you know, he can't. I talked to him. Not, I didn't. I'm not saying I'm a guy that goes out. You know, I'm not. I can't. I don't. You know, I gotta work, man. I used to work seven days a week, sixteen hour days. So I'm not gonna be. I'm not a guy that's gonna go out there having quote fun. You know, I mean, everything's not fun. So yeah. they would have probably not seen, you know, seen me, but I'm here, you know. Well, and also the record's not being reissued. And I think like it's, it also built up this mystique, you know, where it's, yeah. it's just like this sort of, you know, and also the thing is that I keeps coming up on the show is this is such a short period of a very long life that you've lived where we're yeah. really talking about like a seven year span in your life. And it's, it's amazing how this is fetishize and crystallize for people for forever now like people just go back to these records and go back to this ultimately brief period in your life yeah so in many ways you know like i've, I've got this thing all these years you know to put the record out and you know i feel good finally you know because i even 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 uh maybe up to a month ago i still haven't reservations like am i doing the right thing should i just let these records you know should i just keep the you know being sticking the status quo is not a hard thing to do it's pretty easy you know so i was falling into that trap and uh you know i uh you know i decided to you know i don't say go against my instincts so just go against what i've been thinking and 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 you know i want to give the people the records they want so that's where joe comes in you know i'm certainly not 
you know, I'm not trying to put out a record that I want to put out, you know, uh, or uh, I want I want to match what they, you know, the people that want these records, I want to match what they want. That's what this is all about. So, uh, you know, in the past, I can't say I've always thought that way. I never thought that way, maybe. <laughs> so, but I, but I, but I, I want to give them, you know, to, you know, they're the ones going to buy. I mean, before I definitely, when I made those records, I weren't thinking, well, I'm making these records for them necessarily. I was just making these records, and if people bought them, they bought them, you know. But you know, only reason I'm we're going recircling it back is that I hope we get it right. You know, I hope they like what we come out with. You know, just recently we discovered some old multi tracks from that period. You know, which is going to allow me to remix it, remaster it, and kind of you know tweak it a little bit. Which I'm sure there'll be some purists that won't like that, but you know, Joe will figure that out, and uh, I'm sure the re-releases probably will be exactly like the originals. I would suspect, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Although, you know, I do think there's room to hear these other mixes because I, you know, mixing in 83 is different than mixing in uh, 2022, you know, just thinking, you know, I think um, I understand the technology a little bit better myself too. So I'll know if something's lacking, I'll kind of uh, be able to pinpoint where we're going, you know, back then when it didn't sound right, I just threw my hands up in the air and said, it doesn't sound right, man. And we went to this, like, we tried to, we were, we recorded kids will say three times, maybe four. Okay. And, uh, it basically was that at the end of it, I'm like, this doesn't sound like the record I want to put out, you know, I mean, we could have put it out. Actually, if you listen to all three versions, it probably doesn't sound a whole lot different, you know, <laughs> when I, if I was to do a comparison, but back then, you know, every time I put the, the record, I was like, man, it doesn't sound like the record I want to make, you know, so we'd go on and take make another one. So, you know, do you so, still have all three versions? Do you still have this, all three versions of it? Of what? The tapes? Of the tapes of the first of a kid's I think, I think they I think that's what we just pulled up, these tapes. Oh, these, that's uh, amazing. Yeah, these tapes from like definitely is uh, at least two of the sessions, because the guy yeah. told me that a guy restored these. You know, these records were these tapes were destroyed. The I got them back and they got some water damage. They they look like unusable. I mean, they really looked as bad as you can imagine. Like not just bad on a shelf, peeling away uh, metal pot, like water damage, rust. Looks like, you know, maybe toilet stains and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> like bad, you know. And I gave up on them kind of in a way. And I actually discouraged them. Ian wanted to restore them too. Ian, Ian was big on restoring. He wanted to put on Discord, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which really caught me for a loop. I still haven't wrapped my head around it. Because I always thought that this, this DC was a Discord. You know, Discord yeah. was a DC thing. Yeah, he said he wanted to put him on. I was like, I, 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 we really, you know, he just touched upon it. You know, I kind of dismissed it. Was so dismissive because I didn't understand it. I should, you know, maybe I should have pressed them and said, I don't understand why you want to do this. You know, I kind of did say it, but I still don't understand why he wanted to do it because it, you know, like I said, I thought his label was a DC thing. He never ventured out too much from that, you know. But maybe it was because I think maybe it was a half label. Maybe he wanted to reconnect it. I don't know. Cause he's in an archival mode now himself. So maybe he thought pulling that half record was an important thing, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe mm-hmm. he just wanted to help me. Out. Maybe strictly just wanted to help me out, which would have been great too. But uh, I wasn't sure. So, you know, we, uh... anyways, Joe was insistent on these tapes and I said, whatever. I kind of trying to talk him out. I said, dude, don't waste your money. <laughs> we got what we need. We'll, we'll put these records out, whatever the people want. But see, now I'm excited because, uh, I'm going to give them what they don't want. No, it's, it's, it's really back to the same thing again. You know, it could be if I don't watch myself, it could be because 
you know, I'll probably remix, remix this thing. I'll be happy with it. And people will be like, that's not what you want. You know, because I'll be honest, that's, I felt that a lot during the whole tenure of the band, okay, all the way. Mm-hmm. Every time I put a record out, it's like they wanted the other record. You know, it's like it never really was in sync, I felt. Now, I could be dead wrong because obviously the records uh, lasted all these years, right? So I am wrong, right? But I'm telling you, real time, what I felt, real time, feedback real time was, you know, I'm not in sync with my audience <laughs> at all, you know? We were always playing one record ahead too. Bad mistake. And I knew it, even when we were doing it. Like by the time the record came out, like get it away. We wouldn't pl- we weren't playing those songs. <laughs> we were already playing the next record, you know. And we knew it. Like we were it wasn't like we weren't aware of it. We were knew it and we didn't give a fuck. <laughs> Which is even worse, you know. And uh anyways, I learned, you know, those are those are the mistakes I regret. And I tried to learn from them because like I told my gauge, I did not make those same mistakes. I tried to, every mistake I made. In SSD, I tried to correct engage, and uh, you know, same thing in this in this uh, re-release. Every mistake I made, you know, up to this point, hopefully Joe helps me and we get it right, you know. But having these tapes, just uh, in a way, it kind of makes me. I'll be able to like I can like you know play just play around with these things. I'm I don't have much of a life right now, so yeah, this will kind of keep me going for a while. And I, like, who doesn't want another version of these records? Like, I would love to hear different versions of it. I, I, like, I, I love I, the versions I, that I have too, though. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, I don't think we we'll put them on records because I, you know, that. But I mean, certainly streaming. I see, I see, like, uh, you know, Rihanna has got like ten versions of every song. So why can't I have two or three, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, like, <laughs> you know, and if you know, I I think it's streaming. Like, I, I do, I do kind of like streaming because it's convenient. Like if someone, you know, say I do put two versions of this and like, I think even the concept of making, you know, I'm going to talk to Joe about this. I kind of was trying to encourage it. I was thinking this out in my head right now, you know, it'd be kind of cool. A couple of people, maybe a couple of people approach me and say, Hey, I'd like to kick a shot at mixing that or something, you know? So like, you know, maybe we have some guest mix people that want to, you know, maybe the people that like the record meant something to them. I'm not talking like, you know, like, but say you just mentioned a couple of people. Say I found some guy in the industry that I wasn't aware of who like liked that record. Now he's like making Deftones records or something, you know? Maybe, maybe like, you know, it'd be cool. I was thinking like, you know, if there was such a person, I don't know if such a person exists, but you told me a guy's in wrestling. Of course, he won't well, be the guy to help me mix the record, but. <laughs> the drummer you know, fucked up, Jonah Falco has become yeah. quite a producer. He's tr- done a lot of, you know, Chubby and the Gang, Chisel, like a lot of the big UK records yep. that are coming out he would shit his pants to get the opportunity to work on this record with you. So I will put his name forward as one of these guest remixers. He will well, definitely. It's, it's, just a, it's a concept I want to pitch to Joe, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't think he really knows. Like, he just goes just for storing these tapes. This week, <laughs> this week is the tapes are just coming online. And I was, uh, you know, seeing the fruit of the of what's coming up. You know, like, I mean, I'm like, oh, this is, this is some possibilities here. You know, it still might not be great, but. The fact that I know that I have multi-tracks, not just two tracks, multi-tracks of demos from that period. And and they probably, like I said, I mean, back then I probably didn't, you know, said people, if people asked me back then, why did you put those demos out? I said, there's a reason they didn't come out. You weren't <laughs> meant to hear them, you know? And now I probably look back on it. Maybe, maybe I was cutting hairs or something. So I'm going to re-listen to them. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll see the light of day. So it's just another thing that we can uh put out there you know but if people don't want like i said same thing i'm not trying to give people things they don't want people don't listen to them that's fine but you know it's 
it's flattering if they do listen to them, you know. I've got a playlist with 19 different versions of I Got a Right by the Stooges on it. So I will be very really? happy. Yeah, for <laughs> a couple more versions. Yeah, you, you're, uh, you're a purist, I think. Well, I just, I think it's so fun to compare the different versions, you know, and hear, yeah. oh, yeah, this takes slightly different or this sounds a little bit different. Like, I think it's a, you know, I'm fascinated by that stuff, especially with a record that you love. Like, you know, I'm oh, talking yeah. about listening to Get It Away for 20 times. Like, if I could listen to a different version for 10 of those times, it would have been awesome, too. Now, let me ask you, when you say listen to them, you listening to the cd or a vinyl or what are you listening I, to i have it on vinyl but i would be lying if i said i was getting up and flipping it over and over again i was listening to it on streaming yeah. some people that. say you know i'm just asking because some people tell me that that's the only way they enjoy music putting yeah. the needle to the thing you know <laughs> I, I i'm i'm surrounded by records i've mortgaged yeah. my children's future to buy records at this point wow. and and uh sadly but uh even i have to admit that streaming is more convenient sometimes <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, like I, I have a love hate thing with vinyl. I mean, I told it's a, it's a fan of music. I really enjoyed it. I fan of the large format, but the piece of vinyl, I, I wrestled with my whole life. I never liked it. I never liked when I used to put the vinyl, the crackle pops, you know, I hated mm-hmm. that. It drove me crazy. Uh, there's so many things about it. I hate, you know, I hated buying that, that, that like felt thing that you just to clean the records with and stuff. Yeah. And, I hated when a record came out with a with a wobble in it, you know, like a, the needle yes. would bend. Sometimes you get one that would skip, right? But sometimes it's a gentle kind of wave riding the wave. I hated that. I used to say, you know, maybe it's just my inner engineering. I was like, why can't they make a record flat? You know, it used to piss me off. Like, it's a, I mean, it really bothered me. I hated the format. Really hated it because of those things. You know, the 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 needle abrasion, you know, abrasion abrasion thing, and and the and the vinyl not being flat, you know. You know, and then when you move, you really hate vinyl. Oh, definitely. My oh. wife had a big collection. Hers got like from the different moves we made around, you know, uh, she probably wrote about it in her book there. You know, you saw oh, her book's amazing. Book. Nancy's yeah, been on the amazing. show. I, yeah, I, I, she huge. said she did a great job with her. Oh, no, she is a, a, a legend, you know, and, and just getting to talk to her about a completely different, like Philadelphia, which is a scene that I, I'm also obsessed with, but I think there's not as much coverage. Like, I think Boston, D.C. and New York, uh, really, those scenes have kind of been canonized and have, are really important. And I think Philadelphia, for some reason, doesn't really get the same consideration. So I was right. amazing to get to talk to her about all that stuff. And she, she When I met her, she's a big music fan. I think that's how she met me, because she bought that record, you know? And she bought, I don't know if she bought it on based on the record cover, maybe, you know? Uh, so, you know, we shared that same thing, but we also kind of like pulled out around the same time. And a lot of it was because, you know, we moved a bunch of times. Her records got destroyed. She had all the minor threats and all those, you know, the money records too. They all got destroyed. And she didn't, she just threw them out when the, when the covers got all ruined and everything. And, you know, it, there was like a water leak and everything. So, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people's records, went through that kind of period too you know yeah absolutely uh al this has been incredible and i could talk to you for another two hours but i won't Probably. subject you to that but uh can i ask you a few more questions before you go yeah yeah uh one band i always wondered if you had any interaction was from new york was the abused did you guys ever play with them or do you know them at all they were another band kind of doing a straight edge thing yeah i uh i've heard the name but i can't say i remember it's, i mean might have played with them to be honest i mean I, my memory isn't as sharp as I would have liked, you know, 40 years. I don't remember yeah. everyone I should have, you know. Uh, I, you know a, another thing, I wish I wish I had detailed, um, like, Engage, I wrote down every show we played, the date, and who we played with and stuff like that, and I detailed that in, like, a log. I wasn't smart enough to do that. And, and I wish I had that record, you know, that record of 
who we play with and what shows and stuff like that. I think Chris Menacucci from Radio Raheem Records probably knows every single show SSD played. I'll ask him to give me a breakdown. Well, you know, that, it's funny if he does because, uh, you know, I would like to see that record. You know, that I like to see that record of these shows because I wonder if it's accurate, you know, because it, it would be a nice document to have, you know, but yeah, I'm not sure if he would, he would, because I'm not sure if I could make it accurately, you know. Well, I think the thing is, there's so much love and you know once again collectors of these flyers now that there's just so many people that are trading these flyers or documenting these flyers and putting them out there that a That's lot of these the flies i could see you're right you're right we made a fly for every show so yeah i guess if you if you collected flyers you could probably put put the story together you know yeah and i think we're also crowdsourcing yeah crowdsourcing on the internet you know like all these yep. different people putting their information together we could have a like one of those beatles book about every day of the beatles career we could do that for ssd eventually <laughs> Yeah. uh finally uh oh uh, doa at the underground such a legendary show yeah, yeah uh, i've yeah. heard i wonder what, yeah i wonder if you had any memories of that show oh i've lost those are the one of the shows i remember yeah we uh tore the places uh, crazy we tore the ceiling down ripped it apart i think we tried to blow the place up i had a bunch of cherry bombs and m80s and stuff and uh yeah i that's probably uh you know, see, that's 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 a show where Springer probably it's probably the one time that Springer and me, I'll comment on this a little that Springer and I probably shared a common bond or something as we entered the night <laughs> to destroy the place or something. Yeah, you know, but like I, he doesn't even understand. You know, uh, I could have been a knucklehead too. You know, but I mean, I had to make choices in life. You know, we all have roles to play in in life and a band. Like if we're like a you know, if we're a basketball team and everyone shoots three pointers, well, someone has to rebound, you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, during the SSD, you know, a lot of people looked at me as like the dad, you know, like the, the guy, the straight guy, whatever you want to call it, you know, straight edge guy. You know, I'm the guy <laughs> in the, in the comedy team, I'm the straight guy, but anyways. And, uh, you know, so I felt all that period that people used to always think that, you know, you know, our riff was always, our tension was always obvious. But I felt people probably sided with him most of the time along the way. At least that's what I felt. I think now people don't feel that way. But I could have been a fuck up like him is what I'm trying to say. You know, I could have. And I probably was during that show, the DOA show, when I was blowing up the bathroom or whatever. You know, <laughs> I think one of my favorite parts in America's Hardcore is the reaction on your face when he comes downstairs at your house for the first time. <laughs> yeah, that was genuine. That was completely <laughs> genuine. No fake in that. He wasn't supposed to be there. He, he somehow... You know, we purposely planned that. He wasn't invited. Somehow he shows up. Unbelievable. <laughs> Ruined the whole fucking night. <laughs> uh, one last thing I got to ask you about, um, and this person has now departed, so rest in peace. But if you had any yeah. Jake Phelps stories, because he is such a Jake, legend. Yeah, Jake's a huge part of, of this whole thing, like the crew, Boston crew. That was all my gosh. You know, like the crew was almost as important as the band. You know, the crew mm. got like, you know, access to this, you know, sit in the van maybe more than the guys in the band, you know, like I'm as far as like who has sat where or whatever, you know, so the crew was a big part of it. You know, we traveled with the crew everywhere. And Jake was a big part of that. Jake's a fun guy, but Jake's a interest, you know, he's a character and he's an interesting guy. And he was very, he's like almost as hard to deal with as Springer in a way, but a different way, you know, Jake could easily be a divisive person and, and split the group, you know, like if we're all going someplace, you know, Jake on many occasions would take the guys and go out skating some pool or something. And, you know, I'm, I'm usually very uh, focused in what the mission is, you know, the mission was to play, you know, uh, it wasn't to go skating. So 
you know, we had some problems. I had some problems on the way, Jake, but uh, we were really good friends and we kind of reconnected right before he passed away. I could see he was in trouble actually, you know, around that period. I saw when he did the uh, Boston, uh, Boston, whatever the Boston hardcore documentary mm-hmm. was, I could see he was fucked up on the tape, you know? Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, he's, uh, you know, I, I just knew it was familiar, you know, to it. So I was like, so we talked a little bit about, but when I talked with him, he wasn't as open about it. You know, I felt he was kind of being a little bit guarded, you know, so I don't really know what his life was at the end, but I mean, I did talk to him, but he seemed like he didn't want to share with me what was going on, you know? Well, this has been a dream conversation, Al, and I would love I hope to I didn't let you down now, man, dude, not you got at me all. thinking about that. No, anytime you want to come back on this thing, please you know, know. If you do this and you want to fill, you want to uh, piece something together, call me back up. I'm no, here this was incredible. Dude, this okay. was unbelievable. Yeah. Thank you. Thank okay. you for taking the time. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be in touch uh, at some point. I got to send you the video of uh, fucked up covering glue too. Cause I've been, oh, yeah. I've been in like several bands covering glue over the years. So. Thank you for covering it and keeping it alive. You know, that's, that's really, uh, you guys are responsible. All the people carrying the torch and bringing it forward. I mean, for guys like you, I, you know, I wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. So believe me. I don't, uh, that doesn't, you know, that is a big thing, you know. Thank you, Al, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Al, we'll be back for a part two at some point in the future because there's a lot more to talk about. Huge announcement, once again, coming out later on this week for for SSD. Keep your ears to the ground and uh, get excited. I'm excited. I'm very excited about this thing. Uh, and, and that is it for this episode of the show. Oh my God. I can't believe I got to do that. All right. But coming up on the next episode of turned out a punk now for something completely different, you might've seen their, uh, huge blockbuster movie. I think it was like the number one movie for a couple weeks in a row in theaters. You might've seen, uh, the 4.5, which has just shown up on Netflix. Uh, I'm talking of course about jackass. And from Jackass, coming on the show, on the next episode, is the legend, Jason Weeman Acuna. That's right. We talk about, well, we talk about punk, you know. We talk about Jackass, too. But we mainly talk about punk. And it's a fun one. And that will be on the next episode. All right. Well, that is it for me. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different sexualities and different gender identities and and different nationalities and ethnicities and just knock all that fascist bullshit out. Because at the end of the day, we're not talking about political issues. These are just basic human rights. People have the right to live without fear of violence and hatred. Uh, so get involved with organizations that are making positive change in this world. Help be that change in this world if you if you want to see it. Donate your time, donate your money, donate donate what you can. Uh, you know, and 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 I mean, start your own organization. That's really ambitious. But if there's something happening in this world, and you think you need to help do something about it, you know, maybe start your own organization. That's once again a little ambitious, but. Find out if there's an organization doing that work already. Maybe you can just support that one first before going out and starting your own thing. But you know what you can do? 
start your own culture. Start a band, start a fanzine, start a podcast. Don't start a podcast. Start something, because anyone can do this shit. And, you know, hardcore gets better with participation. Look what Al just said, you know, like, exclaim and SSD. Like, here's a guy who had no ambition in music and yet has influenced so much and continues to influence so much. So maybe you can do the same. Sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them anymore. They're literally dead weight at that point and just rotting in you. So give someone else an opportunity with those things. Um, but it's getting a little down, getting a little negative. Well, not negative, just getting a little down. So uh, try meditating. When things get down, uh, I found that that can really help me. Um, and I didn't believe in it. I wasn't one of those people that was like, oh, this thing works the whole, my whole life. No, I, I resisted it. And I've come to it. And it helped me a little bit. Maybe it'll help you too. Who knows? Um, but that's it. Stay safe out there. I love you. Thanks for listening. Bye.